Your attention is precious. Pulled in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of Blue. Learn more at BenefitOfBlueSC.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure for me to bring on my next guest for the podcast. And uh, just a little bit of background, we had such good feedback and and such an interest uh, from my very first guest, uh, Clint Emerson, with some of the tips and and advice that he gave based on his 100 Deadly Skills book to where uh, what I wanted to do was bring on another guest to expound on on a lot of that stuff, both gear and security stuff and, and kind of tips and, and things that you as the listener can take away. Uh, so we brought on our next guest uh, who is an expert in this field and owns his own company for that. This gentleman uh, owns the company called Imminent Threat Solutions or ITS Tactical. Um, he was born in PA, grew up in Dallas, uh, so he's kind of a hometown boy, which is why we've got him on here, part of the reason. He graduated Arlington High in 1997, joined the Navy in 2003, uh, went to BUDS and, and was actually a student of mine uh, back in 2003-04 time frame. Um, he was medically retired out of there, went back to college, uh, got his degree at the University of Texas, and then started ITS Tactical in 2009. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Brian Black with ITS Tactical. Yay. How's it going, Mike? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Thanks for having me, dude. Oh, man, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's fucking great having you here. You know, the uh, I've been on Brian's podcast uh, a couple of times. We've done some gear stuff together, and uh, you know, to be on the other side of the mic uh, is kind of kind of weird, honestly. You know, uh, but, <laughs> it is for me too. Yeah, but uh, but I'm glad glad you're here. Um, you know, the for the folks listening, one of the kind of again strange things that's almost surreal is is looking back. You know, 15 years ago uh, or thereabouts is uh, you know me as a SEAL instructor and, and Brian as a student, uh, and then you know if, if I if somebody would have fucking told me that 15 years down the road that like we'd be sitting here interviewing each other on podcasts uh, with our own companies as yeah as entrepreneurs would uh, yeah would have been hard to believe, but uh, but yet here we sit. And uh, what I do like to do is just uh, to get get every everybody's brain flowing is. Start off with a quick lightning round that, frankly, has almost fucking zero to do with uh, with what we're going to talk about. <laughs> Perfect. But, uh, anyway, uh, for the listeners out there, what uh, what does your morning routine look like? Uh, I wake up at between four thirty and four forty five. Jesus, um, yeah, 
I know it's terrible. You can tell my wife about that one. <laughs> she hates it too. Um, but yeah, I'm usually up that early. I'm, I'm hitting the gym by no later than 5 a.m. I usually get done about 6 to 6.30, depending on what I'm doing. Um, come home, cook a good breakfast, and I'm really old now, so I started reading the paper. <laughs> I literally get the yeah. Wall Street Journal delivered to my fucking house now. I don't so. know anybody that still reads the fucking <laughs> Dude, newspaper. Tell me about it. I got so frustrated with Apple News bullshit and all yeah. the, you know you know what I mean, all the yeah. crap going on in, yeah. in politics and everything else. Not that I don't enjoy political discussions, but yeah. there's just too much crap that you have to wade through to get to the good stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's fucking priceless. Yeah, <laughs> and we only started that about two weeks ago. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I figure I'm almost forty now, so I got to start doing you're, old man shit. You're officially old. <laughs> yeah. <man shit. laughs> the uh, in terms of your workouts, what uh, I know you started uh, kind of a different eating program, which that's one of the things that I I like to talk about is yeah. both morning routines uh, for people and what uh, what kind of gets them going. I mean, uh, you know, to me, no different. It's usually than, my shit that gets me going in yeah. the morning. So. <laughs> Well, that'll be on that'll be on the YouTube version afterwards. The uh, you know, but to me, like you know, everybody that I have on here, I, I love asking the morning routine because it's you know, there's a lot of similarities with the exception of mine. I seem to be the only asshole that sleeps way later than everybody else. But but uh, you know, to me, that that's an interesting particular uh, for people that I I admire and and have good stories and are people that uh, you know are successful in whatever uh, element they're successful in, which is why they're on here. But I think it says a lot about somebody, you know, uh, what they do first thing in the morning, how they structure their day and whatever. So I'm always interested to hear what that is. But uh, Well, believe it or not, it, it kind of, I've kind of solidified that over the, I don't know, past almost year now. Uh, my wife, Kelly, and I have been eating kind of this modified paleo diet based mm-hmm. on Rob Wolf's book, Wired to Eat. Yeah, I listened to that audio book and it was just blown away by the the information that was there. And I've always kind of delved into that a little bit at a time but i've never really stuck to anything hardcore um but i mean since august i've dropped like 20 pounds and i feel amazing and we're eating great and i had like slightly high cholesterol and i've been eating bacon every morning and my cholesterol has actually gone down which is just amazing to me so yeah just cool shit yeah, so I'm I'm curious then in that you know so you work out first and then you do uh, you cook a what's what you'd consider a good breakfast what what does that breakfast look like? Uh, usually I'll have about three eggs and I like making scrambled eggs. I cook the bacon in the pan first and use the bacon grease to cook the eggs. Full and benefit. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Don't want to waste any bacon grease. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but uh, yeah, I use usually eat that and. Um, sometimes I'll make omelets in the morning too, chop up some vegetables and throw them in the bacon grease first before I put eggs in there. And yeah. that's a good way to do it too. And Are you doing any, any fruit or vegetables? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, I definitely, I'm a banana fiend. So I eat a banana every morning and, um, usually some fresh berries and stuff like that too. No, I, I mean, do you relax the gag reflex on the banana? Or <laughs> yeah. That's it's why you slow, like bananas. Slow entry. <laughs> That's good shit. I, uh, I, you know, I've done kind of the same thing. I've, I've gone a full gamut of trying a lot of different, um, you know, workout and diet programs in the last 20 years. And, and similarly, like while it's always evolving, I would say it's, it's kind of a combination of evolving and refining. But uh, one of yeah. the things that I started doing in the last, I don't know, six months or so is drinking bone broth. Really? Every morning. Um, I've heard some stuff about that. I just haven't gotten yeah. into it. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it's pretty legit. I, I do that and some uh, some Bub's natural collagen uh, powder in it as well and double up on the fucking collagen trying to make myself not look so fucking old. But uh, <laughs> it's totally working. I still look old as shit. But, so I uh, look young to yeah. begin with, so I don't yeah. have that fucking yeah. problem. Yeah. <laughs> 
I've always looked older, or people have always assumed yeah. I'm older than I am. But uh, anyway, all right. So that's your morning routine. Uh, here's a real deep one. What's your favorite Mexican food dish? Whew, fajitas. Fajitas with because beef I, or chicken. Uh, I like a mix. Actually, right. I like it both ways. <laughs> the uh, you don't discriminate. No, I do not. All right. But yeah, I don't. I don't eat tortillas, so I don't. I, make, I typically get that because I can. I can just push the tortillas to the side, and I don't have yeah, to. You don't have to unwrap yeah, shit. Right. And fuck with it. Exactly. Amen. Uh, <laughs> what What is your least favorite sport? Least favorite sport. Um, at the risk of well, I would say soccer. Yeah. I don't like watching soccer too much. I know. Um, I would say football, but I'm going to offend everybody, and I just don't get into football. I like <laughs> hockey. That's my sport. So, Well, here's the good news about mic drop. Is, uh, <laughs> while we don't try to offend people, nobody gives a shit if anybody's offended. Good. I can tell you that. But uh, I like this podcast. Yeah. Um, for me, you know, not that you're asking, but uh, since we're talking about hey, it. Hey, Mike, what, what's your least favorite sport? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, cricket is actually my least favorite sport and not like two reasons it's very f- specific well there's two reasons for that is that one it reminds me of being in the middle east because that's about all that's uh-huh. fucking on uh and two i just for the love of christ i do not fucking get it i've even had you know doing like foreign internal defense training with uh jordanians or, or saudis or whatever ha- having some of their interpreters or some of their guys try to explain it to me more than once like i don't know if i'm that fucking stupid uh, or if the sport is that fucking (laughs) stupid but i just don't get it like it makes absolutely no sense and it's like fucking it's like monopoly in terms of some of the games go like nine goddamn hours i mean it's just wow i don't get it but uh i just learned how to play bocce ball this last weekend which is completely foreign to me i didn't know anything about that it was completely weird that sounds like uh you, so you read the Wall Street Journal and then play bocce ball. Right. Christ, that's it's uh, fucking you might as very well pretentious. I know. <laughs> what, I'm uh, working there. Yeah, I'm not old enough yet. Yeah. What, uh, what's your favorite booze? Uh, that would have to be Weller 12 bourbon. Which I got to say, uh, he brought me a bottle of that as a, as a podcast gift, and I appreciate the hell out of that. I'm looking oh, yeah. forward to, to digging in here. Uh, Weller 12, the, the poor man's pappies. Yes. Interesting story, actually. With uh, I, I, I got to take a tour of of uh, the Buffalo Trace facility where Pappy's is is bottled, and uh, the owner of Pappy's, Julian, um, took us through some some interesting tidbits. Was that the Weller Twelve? Uh, basically, there's 500 barrels of um, of the exact same batch. That um, the way that they break it down is that he he tastes all 500, and and the 250 that he picks is the Pappy's Twelve. And then the other 250 is the Weller 12. So legitimately, like, it's the exact same fucking stuff. Really? Yeah. So that I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, there's a lot of shit I learned. I also didn't know how to get a tour of Buffalo Trace from Julian himself. So I don't Uh, know what you did to do that. But Yeah, I I actually, I don't know either. Uh, (laughs) I don't know how I managed to fucking. You just blacked out and it was. I have a a hell of a good assistant that uh, (laughs) hooked that up. But um, All right. So I know you're a Star Wars fan. Yes, I am. Um, so I'm going to ask, what's your favorite Star Wars movie? And you have to pick one. Like, it can't be a, well, I'm not sure. That's not even a question. Of course I'm going to pick one. <clears throat> oh. So Return of the Jedi, that's my favorite. Now, why is it your favorite? Uh, I think because the bounty hunters are so prevalent in that movie. Um, You're more of an anti-hero guy? Well, maybe. Maybe slightly. Yeah. I like I like the whole Jabba Palace, Jabba's Palace scene, and yeah. the Cantina was awesome in the first Star Wars, and there's plenty of bounty hunter stuff in that. But 
I just lean more towards Return of the Jedi for some reason. The character mm. development was really cool in there. And there's like that Endor forest scene, which I thought, and the speeder bikes. And yeah. that's some cool shit. I'm still waiting for Honda to come out with a fucking speeder bike. Like I that. would fucking buy one in a heartbeat. <laughs> I really would. That's right. I would mortgage my house for a speeder bike. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking great. Uh, what is the most embarrassing moment of your life? Uh, probably when one of my nuts swelled up in boot camp. <laughs> That's well, probably. Let's discuss what happened with that. I don't even know what fucking happened, dude. Yeah. Like, it was the weirdest shit ever. I've never had anything like that happen to me before. And I remember laughing at all the dumbasses that waited to get their wisdom teeth out until they got to boot camp and how miserable they were. And yeah. maybe it was my karma for laughing at all those motherfuckers. I don't know. <laughs> but I just remember one morning I woke up and I was like, God, my fucking nuts hurt. And I, went to the bathroom and I was like what the and it looked like I had elephantitis of the fucking nuts or something oh, sure. man like Which, only one of them was swollen up I was yeah. like oh my god I can't believe I gotta go to fucking medical about a swollen nut I'm gonna get fucking rolled and I'm get you know I'm not gonna finish boot camp and how, how got, long had you been there at that point uh, it's probably like I don't know how long is boot camp like eight, eight weeks? weeks yeah so I was probably like three weeks into it or okay. something four weeks was it like uh, was it a torsion thing or I, they don't even know they just gave sure. me some fucking pills and it went away yeah. so and it God took man. like two days to go away, but that was the probably some most embarrassing shit. I think they give those same same <laughs> pills to officers to make their fucking nuts, right. nuts shrink too. Yeah, that's another that's another <laughs> podcast. We'll get an officer on here and fucking <laughs> land based him. Um, well, that is a fucking embarrassing thing. But, yeah, but obviously it cleared up and no, yeah, no fucking. Problem. I'm okay. And yeah, I, you know, I find with most of the military guests that I've had on here, like you know, any any whether it's an embarrassing moment or shit that we end up talking about is either nuts <laughs> or a cock or yeah. rubbing one out or you know, like it's, it's always about the filthiest. I got a good rubbing one yeah. out story. All right. So Kelly, we were, we were married like after, so I was in buds when I got married, but Kelly was still dating. I was still dating Kelly when I went to boot camp, and she would always write me these nasty letters and <laughs> in boot camp and shit. Like, and I was always worried about somebody finding them and fucking That's reading fucking them and great. stuff. But one night I got ballsy and decided to like stand up in front of everybody and read one of her letters, which <laughs> she gets super embarrassed about whenever I talk about yeah. it. So That's good. She's not yeah. here. <laughs> right. But uh, so I'm sitting up there reading one of those letters out to like the whole fucking, what do they call it? Barracks or whatever. Yeah, the, the whole the uh, division. Division, yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm up there reading it. And there's this, there's this guy across the way. His name was Valentine. He was this hilarious black guy. Just one of the funniest guys I've ever come across. I still need to look him up one of these days and see what he's doing now. But he was sitting on the top bunk and... All of a sudden, like halfway through my letter, his his bunkmate, like his lower bunkmate, goes, "God damn it, Valentine!" And he like looks up, and the dude is fucking jacking off under the sheets, uh, like to me face. reading my letter. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should feel dirty right now or what, but Holy it was hilarious. Shit. Yeah, was yeah. <laughs> but I mean, everybody like the lights came on, and he was like, ah, he like threw up his blanket. It was hilarious. <laughs> Only in fucking boot camp, yeah, shit like that. Happened. Yeah, they used to call it Ricky boxing. Yes. Yeah. The Ricky everything, yeah. the Ricky broom to clean. and Did your, uh, does your wife know that story? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've told her that. Did you keep any of those letters? Uh, yeah, I yeah. think I've got them somewhere. Fuck, you should have brought one. could have read Mike's like, I want to hear it. Yeah. Well, if it's got, yeah, if it's got Valentine <laughs> snapping one off in, in the middle of uh, everybody, it, yeah. it's got to be pretty, it's got to be penthouse letters material. Yeah. Um, all right, so the last thing, getting a little serious, what what are the three three things that you are most grateful for? Hmm. Let's see. That's a tough one. So 
I'd say primarily it's other than, um, other than the letters from your wife. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say number one is health. Like that's, that's a huge thing for me and not only my health, but family health and yeah. just in general, there's so many things that could go wrong in, in this world. And I'm, I'm very grateful for, for that. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for the support that we've always had with ITS. I'd say that's probably number two is, you know, family is number one that kind of goes along with health. But then, you know, number two is kind of the support that we've been shown with my business ITS from the very beginning. And I feel very fortunate about that. So that's, that's like number two. There's three, right? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Uh, put you on the spot. Yeah. Let's see. Name the 19 things that you're most (laughs) grateful for. Mom. uh, I, I think I'm grateful for, and this is probably a diversionary into kind of history of how I started and everything, but I'm actually very grateful that I never got through buds. Like, even though that's a weird thing to say and yeah. that's all I wanted at the time. Um, and I even tried to go back in later after I got out uh, to finish. But like, I got through Hell Week, which is amazing. And the experience that I learned and just what I was able to take from that um, into, into life in general um, when I got out was just, it, it's like, I changed completely after that. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to describe, but yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I'm right there with you. I know. Uh, I mean, a lot of times people ask like, you know, how do I build my confidence or, or whatever? And, you know, to me, like there's a bit of an irony with, uh, with challenge and stress and, and tough situations. Uh, and, and again, I mean, I've had this discussion with more than one person before, but in terms of, you know, not coddling children and letting them experience yep. tough things within reason. I mean, you've, you've got to be a little calculated, like you can't throw the, you know, the sheep into the, into the lion's den, but, but you have to, to a certain extent it works the same, same fucking way with dogs, you know, raising puppies, like you, you have to expose them to things that stress them out. It, it you know, it, it builds, uh, not only their confidence, but even from a health standpoint of, um, you know, an endocrine, uh, system and, and uh, hormone levels being increased and, and what stress does to that and, and helping with immune system and uh, you know central nervous system I mean, like there's a host of fucking benefits from it but uh, you know back to the human counterpart is that you know that that stress and and going through things that are difficult once you come out on the other side like that I, I would agree in that the if I had to pinpoint you know the the most specific single event in my life that has yep. has changed me for the better it was making it through hell week yeah you know uh, and that's that's a, a big reason for for why it is what it is i mean obviously from the, the biggest reason is the selection standpoint is to see who has what it takes to get through that but but yeah once you put that fucking brown t-shirt on like yeah. it's, it's a game changer <laughs> it is I man i don't give a shit like anything you do the rest of your life is like that's nothing I, yeah. I can do it you know and, and you, ne- you never let it get to you and uh, you know for anybody listening that's either thinking about that or just having a shitty day and, and trying to get their confidence build up, go fucking challenge yourself, Yep. you know, because that will, that will increase your level of confidence and, and make you understand that, that you can do things that are difficult. And the more you do them, the more confident you become. But uh, that's a, that's a great, great point. I love it. Yeah. I feel like the, the end result of that has just been kind of that I continually push and challenge myself and, mm-hmm. and I do it in a, I always go kicking and screaming sometimes into problems that come up at work and, you know, hey, we didn't get this done or production's delayed because of this or, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll bitch about it at first, but then I'm like, okay, let's solve it. Yeah. So that's really what I enjoy about life and business is yeah. just continually solving problems and, yeah. you know, kind of the critical thinking that goes along with that. So. Yeah. Well, and, and as a fellow entrepreneur, there's no shortage of fucking problems <laughs> no you, you got to deal with, <laughs> you know, that's for sure. So that's true. But, uh, yeah. 
Well, so, you know, basically, you know, again, so based on the, the feedback that we got from uh, my first episode, uh, it, it made me want to, you know, continue to do things like this for our listeners to, you know, give them some really good both gear reviews and, and from an assessment standpoint, you know, what they can do to help protect themselves and, and uh, you know, be more situationally aware, be better prepared, et cetera. And, you know, we're going to go through that assessment here in, in just a second, um, you know, to, to lay the groundwork of kind of how how that happened. Uh, you know, obviously, so you, you grew up here in Dallas and, and uh, went to Arlington High School, graduated there. Uh, from there, you spent, you know, uh, several years going to college. Um, I spent six years getting a two-year degree. Six years. That sounds about <laughs> right. A little three for one. Yeah. So I had my associates before I went in uh, yeah. to the Navy. But what, so what college did you go to prior to? Uh, TCC is a community okay. college at the time. Now they don't even say the word community anymore. It's just yeah, a college, college. But yeah. yeah fucking <laughs> it's politically a, correct. Right. But yeah, I did, I did that. And I was working full-time at a photography studio during that time. So hence the, the longness of of how long it took me to get a two-year degree, but I was also fucking around a lot too, yeah. you know, being 21 and, True. you know, hanging out in bars and shit like that. So yeah. that's um, where you put the photography to use too. Right. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, uh, so that was kind of what I was doing during that time frame, And, you know, nine 11 happened during that, that time. And I mean, God wanting to be a seal went, goes back to like me being like 12 years old. I remember, I think what first got me into that was, I picked up a popular mechanics magazine in the school bookstore yeah. when I was in, I don't know, seventh or eighth grade or something like that. And I'd always been interested in the military. And one, because I think my parents are super liberal and it pushed me into oh, the military. It's really weird, dude. Don't ask me why, but <laughs> That's a trip. it's a, it's a strange coincidence. Family gatherings are always hilarious, especially during election time, because my yeah. sister and I are both conservative and we'll just fucking hash it out. It's hilarious. I like poke the bear and, you know, <laughs> like, you know, Bernie Sanders only has one pair of underwear. And my dad goes, no, no, he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, I mean, that's kind of what got me into it. I picked up a popular mechanics magazine. There was this article on, on SEALs, and that was kind of probably around the same time that that movie Navy SEALs came out with Charlie Sheen and. Actually, uh, I have that fucking episode or that that dude, issue. Dude, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, ninety five, dude. Yeah, it's the same. Well, because yeah. yeah, that's the same fucking one that I read. That I was like, I gotta fucking do this, dude. No that's shit. fucking hilarious. Yeah, I, uh, a, a friend of mine sent that to me after oh you heard that God. story. I was like, I don't even know how you found that. Like, that's got to be worse. I'm something. in like nostalgia heaven right now. I have yeah. I have this too somewhere. I haven't seen it in years though. Yeah, yeah. So that's if, you're, awesome. if, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> just on your phone or whatever, if you check out the uh, the YouTube. One, which you're going to want to check out anyway, because there's a bunch of good gear and shit we're going to go through. But yeah, Popular Mechanics. It's, yeah, uh, man. It's, it's amazing how many people that influenced. But Dude. shout out to Popular Mechanics. Yeah, I know. But I, You know, actually, I found out there was one, I think there was one that was a precursor to that, too, that came out in like 93 or something. But there was, Popular Mechanics did a couple of issues yeah. like that, and they were just, I was hooked, man. Yeah, so. I, I fucking loved that magazine yeah. growing up. I was yeah. a total dork with it. But uh, I know. And so, you know, for, for your childhood then, I mean, was that... Was being into, you know, kind of the spy, lockpicking, prepper, survival, camping, you know, kind of mix that, uh, you know, that is kind of what, what you do now. Has that always been something that you were into? Or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I had every single spy tech toy that was made back in the early 90s. Yeah. It was fucking amazing. I grew up. Gadget. Yeah. I grew up fucking jumping in bushes and, yeah. you know, trying to not be seen. Burning up to the tw- Oh, yeah, dude. So you were a peeping Tom there. then? Well. <laughs> Allegedly. Photography, <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> photography and creeping around fucking bushes. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe uh, statute of limitations probably applies. We'd go up to the tennis courts. There was a tennis court that was lighted at night and everybody would go 
play tennis at night and my friends and I would go up there with eggs and we'd dress in camouflage and we'd sit behind the bushes and lob <laughs> eggs over into the tennis court yeah. and watch them just completely freak out and yeah <laughs> nothing creepy about yeah, that right <laughs> yeah. that's fucking great um was was there anything that uh like other than just kind of messing around like did you ever do anything with it growing up in terms of uh, where it would translate like uh or or was it just kind of more of a hobby at that point uh, well it was a hobby um I did start my own detective agency when I was younger, so maybe yeah. that had something to do with it. Yeah. I was like fucking twelve years old, and <laughs> did my, people hire my you? dad got me business cards and everything. Oh, it was shit. hilarious. Yeah, did anybody actually? No, no absolutely no. not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine hiring a fucking twelve-year-old, but you know, you never know. It's like the Ace Ventura of my neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. That's no. Fucking great. Um, yeah, I did that, and I was always just goofing around with it. My, I think my grandfather got me a, a set of lock picks from yeah. a little spy shop when I was really young, and yeah. I remember kind of getting into it and learning how to do it back then. And yeah. I still have that little shitty lockpick set that, yeah. I, that I've had from all those years. But um, so I always kind of, I always liked the skills. And I think what I was able to do when I started ITS was I was able to translate a lot of those skills into ways of bettering your own security and it, it kind of along that vein. So I yeah. tried to find, I tried to find things and skills um, that I could take from not only things I acquired in the military, but things that I was interested in before and kind of put those into article format and talk and, you know, be able to, to just associate some of those, those skills with home security and, um, you know, personal awareness and things like that. So yeah. that's kind of where a lot of the content early on from ITS came from is, yeah. is a lot of that. Yeah. Right on. So you were fucking around in college, Nine eleven happens, uh, you know, I'm assuming mm-hmm. being in college that had some, some influence on, on most people our age, if they weren't in, or especially yeah. if they were like I was, but, um, you, you decided to join not long after that in 03. Um, can you walk us through that? Yeah. Person? Yeah. So, um, when nine 11 happened, I was, you know, going to a college class that morning and my dad actually woke me up on the phone that morning and said, you got to turn on the news. And, you know, that was when <clears throat> the second tower had just been hit as I turned on the TV. So I missed the whole first tower cause I was asleep, <laughs> but, uh, and late for class, believe yeah, it or not. No way. <laughs> um, Shocker. yeah. So, I mean, that just like, I probably stewed on those images of nine 11 for weeks yeah. and it just, I don't know, it like cut me to the core and I, yeah. and I thought, you know, I've always wanted to do this thing, but I've never really, I guess I was never sure of myself. You know, mm-hmm. I was always, oh, that's a cool pipe dream. I'd love to, you know, be a SEAL one day, but I, I could never fucking do that. Yeah. Um, but then that happened, and I really started researching that online. And there was a an old forum on the web called Get Fit Now, um, and that, that was probably like one of the big resources at the time of of even talking to anybody that wanted to do that too. So yeah. it was kind of this source of, you know, motivation and inspiration for for training that way. Um, and then I found Stu Smith's books, like the yeah. the stuff that he wrote, like 12 Weeks to Buds, and I started mm. running through that shit. And of course, I was a piece of shit in the beginning. <laughs> Couldn't even do like two pull-ups. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that was the big thing is that that two-year gap was me training. Yeah. Like I, I was pushing myself at every fucking event I could find. I was doing mud runs. I was uh, running 5Ks, 10Ks. I never got into marathon shit. Uh, I have one run, run one, and that was the one and only one I'll ever fucking run. But yeah. Um, Did you yeah. Do any triathlons or swimming? Uh, not until after I got out of the military. Oh, okay. So I never did any of those before. Yeah. Um, but I always, uh, that college that I was going to had a really good pool. So yeah. I just swam my ass. Stroked it out. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I found a recruiter 
up in Oklahoma. His name was Kelm, and he was one of the only SEAL recruiters pretty much in the United States at that time. I think there was one guy in the East Coast, one guy in the West Coast, and then Kelm was in Oklahoma. So that's actually where I enlisted from. I, I kind of sought him out and drove up there, and um, he would actually come down, and I, I kind of enlisted with a couple of guys that I knew as well, and he would come you know, run us through stuff. And like I was doing drown proofing with him before I even fucking went in. So oh, yeah, it was cool shit. What, was he a seal? Or yeah. Yeah. No? Oh, no uh-huh. shit. Yeah. He was well, a shout seal. out to fucking yeah. Kelm in Oklahoma. Yeah, man. He was Frogman brother. And yeah, he was, he was awesome, dude. That's good shit. All right. So, uh, and then this is where, where you and I meet. So at that time I had uh, come back from an deployment and gotten Valley fever and ended up at, uh, at buds as an instructor. And that's where, I remember uh, you rolling in as a brown shirt yep. into into where you and I first met, which uh, which again is fucking surreal. But yeah, crazy, um, you know, because uh, at the time I'm, it was probably uh, Ty Woods, myself, and, uh, and Mike, Mike, I imagine. Yes, yeah, it's probably the three guys that, mm-hmm. that uh, did it. But uh, you know, the at that time, you know, we were in charge of the anywhere from 10 to 25 or so, you know, guys, for those Broke of you dicks. listening, yeah, <laughs> you know, once you make it through hell week, you're wearing a brown t-shirt versus a white t-shirt. And that's the, the identifier or distinguisher, if you will. Um, and there's, there's a, a precedence put on, like once you've made it through hell week, you've kind of earned, uh, earned a little bit of, of, uh, you know, I don't know, blue chip bidding power, if you will, in terms of your, your relevance, uh, at that, at that class or school training command, et cetera. And so if, if you get hurt or, um, or performance rolled at that point, then you go into a post hell week, um, kind of rehab program. And, and that's where I was an instructor for part of the time. And, and, uh, so he came into that rollback right? land. Yeah. You came yeah. into that. And, uh, and then, so, you know, just because I don't think I've ever actually asked this, what was your, what was your impression of uh, of me at that time? I guess uh, I thought you were a hugger. No shit. <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, I slight hugger, like maybe like quarter, like two percent hugger or something for, like that. For, for people wondering, <laughs> what, like an easy or nice instructor. Yeah. But, uh, uh, no, it was good, man. Uh, I think that I think oh, who was the other guy? Chief Nave was that yeah. another guy that was there? He was yeah. the he was a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> but rightfully so. I mean. I get it. You got to maintain a certain standard, but no, I think it was cool when you came on board too, because we were just used to working out with Nave all the time. And when you came on, you kind of offered a fresh perspective to things. Like we started doing buddy carries over the berms and like running stuff like that. And it was just, it was very uh, different, which is what was nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't the same shit all over again. But yeah, it's it's funny running into guys that, that I put through training and uh, you know just getting their perspective on on certain things. Some some of it's surprising, some of it's not. But, yeah. Uh, you know, for me, like it's funny you say the hugger thing. I mean, I guess <laughs> I always tried to play like the hard but fair. Yeah. Parent, no, I got that. Parent uh, yeah. role, like I you know, like if, you like, did you know that. no different than with dog training. Like if you're doing what you're supposed to do, I'll leave you the fuck alone. Like yep. if you're towing the fucking company line big boy rules like you can have a little bit of slack you fuck up and and then it's a totally different story you know and i I try to live my life that way but uh but you know most of the instructors that are revered and remembered are the guys you know get the (laughs) hammer awards that everybody's scared to fucking death of but uh you know to me like there needs to be an element of that but but balanced but uh, anyway (laughs) and it always did balance this out itself out well you'd get instructors that were like that and then you get the guys that were just like yeah. You didn't even want to look at him in the eye, and oh, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I should I had plenty of them, but uh, all right. So you go, you make it through Hell Week. Uh, you get into second phase, which is dive phase, where you learn all the uh, diving things. And there's a, a week called Pool Comp, which is a, is a real ball buster for uh, for those of you listening. But 
um, you made it through that. Yeah, and yeah. Then, I made it through pool comp with 5-1, um, and then I wound up still having residual shit uh, from Hell Week, like a, a hip flexor issues, which it wound up being a tear to my hip flexor, but yeah. um, that's what eventually wound up rolling me for so long uh, before I class back up. Because typically you class back up with the next class. You know, it's 5-1, yeah. I'd go in with 5-2, but I didn't go back in until 5-4, second phase. Yeah. Um, but God I, damn, that's a yeah, fucking long time. It was a very long time. Um, I was a professional fucking rollback at that time. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was good, though. I mean, the rehab was really good, and it did make me a better runner, yeah. you know, when I did class back up. So I always appreciated the level of, you know, physical fitness that was, that was held within the rollback program because yeah. it did prepare me better for, yeah. and I was actually a better runner going back into five, four than I was when I was just in class. So yeah, yeah it was good shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. The hip flexor thing is what kind of kept me out. And then, um, when I class back up with second phase, um, they didn't make me do pool comp again, which was fucking amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I got to be the, um, what do they call those guys? The fucking fucking pool, boy. pool, pool bitch. Yeah. I was <laughs> a pool bitch. I'd have to fucking make hot pockets for the instructors while yeah. everybody else did pool comp. <laughs> like I'm cold. Give me a hot pocket. Yeah. That's fucking great. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So you make it through that and then you start doing diving and that's where kind of the big, the yeah. big kick in the balls. Yeah. We in. got into Draegers um, and we were in Draeger Hell Week, um, which is what, like the week before the end of the second phase or something like that, two weeks before the end. Um, and it was in Draeger Hell Week and we were doing a just a basic recip dive on one of the, I think it was like a Wednesday or Thursday of, of uh, Draeger Hell Week and just had this fucking weird shit going on. Like, it was one of those situations already, which I didn't want to go to medical for because I had something going on in my chest. Like I was having issues breathing a little bit. Like I, I felt something wasn't right, but I didn't want to fucking, you know, go to medical and risk getting rolled again. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of dealt with it. And when I was underwater, um, on that recip dive was, you know, obviously you're tethered, you're tethered to your buddy on a big yellow line. And we both submerged and, you know, started our recip dive. I was on the fucking nav board, um, on that recip. And I just started coughing uncontrollably underwater. It was really fucking weird and got all stressed out. And I didn't want to get a caustic cocktail and start getting water into my breathing loop. So I like signaled my buddy to ascend. And our ascent rate was right. But when I came up, it, it felt like someone was standing on my chest. And um, the instructor, Instructor Craft at the time, like grabbed me and like pulled me to the side. And he was like, what the fuck? Actually, first he said, what the fuck are you doing? Get back underwater. <laughs> yeah. Good um, man. And then he put his fucking foot on my head and was like, get the fuck back down. <laughs> Sounds uh, about right. Yeah, yeah. And then when he realized something was really wrong, he like pulled me over to the side and got me out of the water and uh, started giving me all these little acuity tests to, you know, see if I was fucked up. Um, and or just retarded. Right, exactly. Which <laughs> hasn't been known to happen. But, um yeah, so he kind of gave me those tests and realized that I had something going on, um, kind of bends wise, yeah. and took me into the ambu and drove me across the street to the uh, dive chamber, and I was I got pressed for, I think it was like six hours I was in there. But what wound up happening, and typically, you know, for those of you listening that kind of understand the bends and how that works, I I did get a um, a gas embolism, or AGE, which is arterial gas embolism. But what happened is is that I think the from what I can ascertain, the coughing almost kind of like helped induce that, the, the air to get pushed into my bloodstream or something like that. Because I've been diving since I was 12. I mean, since I wanted to be a seal, I, I was like one of the youngest kids in my open water class at Patty. Like I have a junior underwater or junior certificate, you know, yeah. I was like always interested in that shit. Yeah. Um, so 
I understand ascent, right? I, I'd been diving for so fucking long that, yeah. and you know, my buddy didn't get the bends, so his ascent rate didn't have anything to do with that. So it was kind of a weird, a weird fucking thing that happened. But um, after about six hours, instructor Kraft was in there with me, and uh, I finally start to feel relief in my chest. And I get out of the fucking recompression chamber and the DMO or the dive medical officer standing, is standing there with this fucking six inch long needle. It's like, it's a good thing that pressure relieved because I was about to come in here and stab you in the chest with this shit. God so damn. yeah, it was pretty gnarly. Well, so, so two things just for those listening that know fuck all about diving <laughs> is that the, uh, the, the Drager that he's talking about is a, is a closed loop rebreather that we use that works on pure oxygen. So there's no no bubbles emitted, uh, you know, different from say most most uh, you know scuba systems, which is you know open, uh, where you, when you exhale the the bubbles come out. This the bubbles go back into a closed loop and it gets scrubbed out and and uh, the or the CO two rather gets scrubbed out with this canister of gravel looking material and goes so back. Sort of Yeah, it goes back into yeah. the back into the into the breathing bag and it's a closed loop so that you're not giving yourself away. With any bubbles, it's totally stealthy and super quiet. But uh, but with that comes some extra shit and breathing pure oxygen and uh, not being able to go as as deep or as long, which is something you're familiar. with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now the, Only uh, behind the camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's there's more to it, I guess. And and one of the things that I think is important for everybody to realize is like you know your story is 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 one that uh, you know it's like goddamn you make it through hell week you make it through pool comp you know you're on the on the the tail stretch if you will of of making it through buds and uh, and something like that happens and that does happen i mean i know a number of really good dudes that that something like that happened that it's just it's a fucking travesty that uh you know that you and and a number of other guys that i've met along the way that ended up you know getting medically dropped for stuff like that but uh, you know it it happens but like you said it you know you can use that as you know, you wouldn't be where you are today yeah. had, had had that not happened. So. Well, and also, you know, tragically speaking, um, a lot of guys from my class, you know, went to Iraq and Ramadi kicked off like yeah. in you know the class that I graduated with was um, a lot of the guys from 5-1 went to SEAL Team 5 and, mm -hmm. you know, all the Ramadi stuff happened and, you know, I lost yeah. a lot of guys that I knew. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, yeah, I mean, it could have been me. So, yeah. I mean, I hate thinking that way, but. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, life's fucking truth. weird that way, yeah. you know, but, uh, yeah, you just, to me, you use every experience to drive forward and, and learn what you can from everything you go through and, and, uh, just get better and better and keep pushing yourself. But, uh, so you end up getting medically retired from the Navy, uh, which is, you know, for those of you listening, it's basically, you know, they're saying, Hey, you're too fucked up to even stay in the military <laughs> medically. So they, they you know, graciously kick you out. Um, yes. but so at that point now you're like well fuck now what do I do so now you went you went to the University of Texas at Arlington yeah yeah I got a um, I wound up getting the last two years of my degree done on the GI Bill um, I figured as long as I'm out I might as well do something with myself actually I sat around for about six months feeling sorry for myself and yeah. just like fuck this sucks yeah with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom. Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, but went back to school and uh, I'd always been interested in web design because I'd been doing it for friends and family. And of course I had the peep and Tom picture, you know, uh, <laughs> stuff under my belt too. So yeah. I was always into photography and it helped with the web design stuff. But um, UT had a degree called communication technology, which was essentially website design. But that's what I wound up going back to school for and getting that. Um, and then, you know, right at the end of 2008, when I graduated college, I started working out again because I started going, you know, I'm going to go dive again. I want to make sure that this isn't something that's going to haunt me for the rest of my life and um, get back on the horse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So everything went fine and, you know, the diving was great and I started working out again and I had no fucking issues with anything. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to go back in. Yeah. So went to a recruiter again, signed up, did the whole thing. And of course, you know, with the experience I had before, he was like, oh, well, you need to do this. I was like, fuck you. Give me the fucking buds contract. I'm going, I'm going back. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. You should be a boatswain's mate on a ship. <laughs> right, right. Got leadership all over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, uh, so went through MEPS and the whole gamut again. This was like the end of 2008, into early 2009, honestly. And then, uh, so I got all the way to the end of MEPS and the guy at the end, the little medical guy was like, I can't sign off on your, your MEPS paperwork. And I was like, what, what's the deal? Why can't you do that? And he's like, well, you've been, you've, you know, you've been through the military before and it's got to go up to BUMED and they have to approve your reenlistment. And I was like, okay, I never heard anything about that, but whatever. And, uh, I come back and talk to my recruiter a couple of weeks later. He's like, yeah, BUMED denied your application to go back in. I was like, what the fuck? Why? I mean, what, what's the deal? My reenlistment code's good. Like I didn't have anything. He goes, maybe it's the dive shit. I was like, dude, I looked it up. Like yeah. having an AGE does not mean that you're going to have another one again. Like yeah, it's, it's not, not like yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah. So anyway, I fought that for a while and I said, you know, what do I do? So I started getting all these letters of recommendation from guys I know that had made it through. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned senior chief Hitchcock who helped me a lot after that dive accident and pulled me into first phase and house mouse me away for a while but uh even all that stuff did not mean a fucking thing to be mad yeah, and yeah. it was one of those things too where i was like okay well i'll just go to another branch and then i realized oh well fucking be meds in charge of every branch of service so yeah. there's nothing i can fucking do so yeah. God, yeah after a while i was just like you know what fuck them if they don't want me i'll do something else with myself yeah. so yeah and then and that's when i started its so, yeah. yeah so well, tell me about yeah you know, like, i think you know i'm curious about yeah. the inception of that is I know for, for me in my business, like I've pivoted and, and the way I started out versus where I am now is, is in some ways vastly different mm -hmm. in other ways. It's exactly the same, but it's like that for me too, a lot. Yeah. yeah. So what, what kind of made you say, you know what, I'm going to fucking do this. Yeah. So I was trying to decide what to do and I've always had a passion for gear and equipment and shit. And, 
um, obviously the skill side of things, which what we talked about earlier growing up. But um, what was really cool about my time in the Navy after I got hurt, too, is that I did a lot of cool shit. And I don't mean like I was off on deployment somewhere or anything like that, but the community and working in the Naval Special Warfare Center, I got thrown into like, hey, go down the elephant cages and help them with combatives. And hey, go over here and help them with the fucking range and yeah. go to supply and go help them for it. So I got like thrown around into all these different places. So I was able to pick up a lot of these badass skills yeah. um, and learn about all this shit. And I'm like a sponge. I've always been that way. I just really, I love learning shit. And yeah. it's just something I'm always passionate yeah. about. I never want to stop that, but yeah. yeah. No, I know it. Yeah. Well, the uh, I mean, that's the thing that, you know, a lot of people in that position, I think, you know, you can you can go down one of two roads. You can feel sorry for yourself and be pissed that you're being bastardized to each department. Or you can say, well, fuck, there's a lot yeah. to be learned here. And I mean, to me, that's that's certainly what I try to do. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think that's something you can't really teach, unfortunately. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you see it in, in kids or, or people across the board. Like to me, that's I think there's there's a large component to that. that's just fucking genetic. Like you either have that attitude or you don't. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there's ex- exposure and experiences along the way that, that helps you towards that. But I really do think just like there's certain elements in dogs that either are fucking there or they're not, and you can't train or teach them. I think yeah. that type of attitude is, is absolutely one of them in humans. But, uh, you know, from there was, was it a, was it a concept that you were like, there's a hole in the market, you know, yeah. or, or there's not enough, absolutely. you know, what, what did that look like? Yeah. So at the time, the space on the internet for, I guess, what's now called the tactile community, it really wasn't a tactile community at the time. It was just more kind of people that were into gear and guns and shit like that. Um, but there existed quite a few resources online, not a ton, but um, like, so Soldier Systems was around, and that's a great website for finding out about the latest and greatest in gear. So Eric over there does an awesome job of like covering all the shows and kind of exposing people to the new things that are coming out. It's, you know, kind of a blog format of short form posts mm-hmm. about, you know, what's new on the market. Yeah. Um, and that, that existed already. Um, and so did a couple of websites that kind of did gear reviews and things like that. And I thought, you know, no one's really hitting the skill aspect of that. It's like, yeah, you can buy the cool shit and, you know, here's right. But you know, where's the skill behind actually using this shit? So that's kind of how I started ITS was that I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the skill based stuff. So I started writing about, you know, not tying and lock picking and getting out of zip ties. And I caught a lot of shit early on for writing about that kind of stuff. And now it's just commonplace, but you know, I took a lot of heat in the beginning for, you know, (laughs) giving away secrets or whatever you call it. But, um, I saw the inherent value in just civilians being able to protect themselves better if they understood those concepts and how to get out of things like that for home invasion scenarios, which were happening all the time then and still are today. So, um, that's really where that content side came from. And that's kind of how it started was just kind of that, that format. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, that's uh, to me, that's an important component because I know, you know, marketplace wise, like that's half of it is, is figuring out, you know, what, right. what, what's a, what exists, uh, you know, what is their demand for? And then also, is there something that, that there's neither that you can create, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, without a doubt, I think, you know, that, that, that element or that, uh, niche, if you will, um, is very similar to like, say the medical community, like it's never going to go away. People are always going to steal shit. They're always going to rob, rob <laughs> yeah. each other. They're always going to fucking attack one another. Like yep. th- there are, are people out there, evil exists and, and you're either a fucking soft target or you're not, you know, exactly. and, and it's always going to benefit you to do everything in your power to not be a soft target or, or to be as hard of a target as you can possibly make it. And that's where, you know, leading into the, into the next uh, portion here is that, you know, so you, 
you did a really cool assessment write-up of, of basic home security. And we're going to talk uh, above and beyond just the house. But, you know, for again, for this is for you guys, the listener, is to give you some kind of tangible, real-world both uh, equipment and skill sets, reviews and, and kind of protocols and and thought processes that you can uh, you can actually grasp and, and implement without spending you know tens of thousands of dollars uh, to make yourself a, a harder target for uh, for everyone out there. So what I'd like to do is if you can kind of run through that assessment and, and for sure. everybody listening in the show notes uh, and and uh, in you know whether it's YouTube or, or iTunes or whatever medium you're listening on. Uh, we will have links to this article, to uh, the gear that he talks about, and, and everything else that we reference in here. So check that out. But uh, if you are listening on a medium other than YouTube, I would encourage you to go on YouTube uh, and watch this one because there's going to be uh, some review, some visual reviews of some of the stuff, and we'll we'll talk through it as best we can. But uh, you guys know the drill. So if you could uh, yeah, just yeah. kind of walk through the the home security assessment that you wrote up, and we'll kind of t- tackle it one one subject at a time. So the main thing with all this is it really comes down to the first, I'd say, the overarching perspective with any kind of home security is the knowledge that no matter what you do, you do for home security, you're always just buying time. You know, given an infinite time and opportunity loop, any determined criminal can get into your house yeah. it's just it's just not going to fucking happen you can't yeah. i mean short of having four steel walls yeah. and closing well, yourself in like there's I mean, just even banks get robbed yes, so exactly you know, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah so that's kind of what i've tried to focus on and I've, as i've wrote this stuff is that you know this is kind of years of researching this and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't and you know i've consulted with friends and family and done these things to their house. And, you know, I've gotten good feedback with it too. And, um, I'm a member of my neighborhood watch in my community and I work with our local law enforcement there to kind of help do this stuff too. So it's, it's been a tremendously rewarding experience to be able to, to give tips like this and and see people put them into practice and for them to work. But, you know, just like you said, the hard target thing is the most important. And, the way you become a hard target is to notice the baseline. And that's probably like first and foremost is just situational awareness because everything that goes wrong, you're going to be able to see, you know, either sooner rather than later or in between. So, you know, if you can, the faster you can notice something being wrong, the faster you can do something about it and, you know, hopefully prevent the crime from even happening in the first place. So, I mean, it's the reason you, that I always back into a parking spot or sit with my, back against the wall and face the door and you know shit like that i like to know when things are coming at me i don't have my face buried in my phone when i'm walking around and shit like that so you know just just kind of being in that mindset to begin with can solve a lot of problems before they even begin and you know going back to that baseline comment you know when you're talking about home security the baseline is the most important thing to observe because any changes in that baseline mean that there's something out of place or something's wrong or you need to say something because you don't may not understand what's going on, but somebody like law enforcement could necessarily understand what what's happening. But, you know, even if it's just a car parked on your street, you don't recognize and there could be somebody sleeping in the back. And, you know, I I, I heard about a story from a, a neighbor that that happened in an old neighborhood of his. Some guy was just sleeping in a car in his neighborhood and he called in the police and reported it. And sure as shit, that guy had just robbed two fucking banks and was just pulled into his neighborhood to rack out for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, you never know what's happening. And um, the more you learn about your neighborhood and the more you learn what's going on around you, the, you know, the closer or the faster you can kind of recognize those things going wrong. Yeah. Um, So, 
you know, that all comes down to knowing your neighbors and knowing the vehicles that they drive and kind of understanding what happens, you know, in your local community yeah. as a whole, because that's kind of your first line of defense. And, sure. uh, you know, for a while, this is kind of a lesson I learned, too, along the way, is that this is now the second house in this city we've lived in. But the first house, I never met any of my neighbors. I was just very closed off. I was, you know, there were a freaking... Haji's living across the street from me. I thought they were building a bomb. And like, I just, I was just in this bubble. Like I didn't yeah. want to meet my neighbors. I was like, I, I'm going to fucking protect my home. You know, I was just yeah. in that mindset. And yeah, family. right. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I was in. Yeah. Um, but as I moved in this new neighborhood and got involved in the community, I realized how nice it was to be around people that actually gave a shit about yeah. the neighborhood. And, and it wasn't like that in my old neighborhood. We had rental property everywhere and no one really gave a shit. So yeah. um, this it was a, kind of refreshing. So it kind of helped me open up and meet my neighbors. And through that, I kind of learned that you know, if you take the time to do that, they can they can kind of be your first line of defense when you're not home. You know, yeah. if, if there's people that stay at home all day or even when you're not there and they drive by and notice some strange vehicle in your driveway that's not supposed to be there. But, yeah. you know, that's all communication is just, you know, yeah. being able to talk ahead yeah. of time to, to people yeah. like that. So And have, having, a, you know, not just having relationships, but, you know, whether it's Facebook groups or I know, yes. mm-hmm. I know several people, uh, you know, in terms of living in, in subdivisions or, you know, uh, suburban neighborhoods that uh, you know that are sectioned off into neighborhoods where they'll have you know Facebook groups that are that are even private or whatever that you know people communicate on there or whatever which uh, is something that I know you know I would I would recommend and just seems to make sense but yeah you know and so in terms I mean that's you know kind of covering the 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 most outer layer uh, you know what in terms of of kind of from an assessment standpoint if people can uh, go down their own checklist uh, that, that you can sure. recommend. So kind of running through that, um, I would say curb appeal is probably the first thing that a criminal is going to notice. So mm-hmm. if, if they're staking out your house and they're trying to look for those soft targets to hit during the day. Yeah. And, you know, most burglaries take place when people are at work. So from like 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. is kind of like prime target. Unless you're at home getting a nooner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The uh, So knowing that... Um, really kind of the focus is more to make sure that your home appears as though they want to move on to somewhere else. Like that's really what being a hard target is, is that I have these things done to my home where if a criminal comes up to my door, Hey, they just were on four cameras. Um, if it's at night, the lights just fucking went on my ring doorbell, just caught them walking up and now I have a recorded video of their face, you know? So it's, you know, that's the kind of concept that is going to make a difference. So so you mentioned cameras. I know, you know, know, obviously they're a good idea. One thing that that I know people are curious about is, you know, there's mainstream, there's ring, there's Arlo, there's, you know, these other kind of, you know, big, you know, almost corporate level, you know, mass produced camera systems that are super simple. Um, you know, you connect the Wi-Fi. What I'm curious about, and, and I know some, some other people are like in terms of that getting hacked or the reliability or whatever, like, is there, is there kind of a, this is way better than nothing and it's good, but there's a, a higher priced, you know, more, exclusive uh, elite brand or brands that you could recommend or what how do, so how do you kind of separate i those? i kind of stray away from recommending camera brands other than saying don't get the cheap shit um from like fry's electronics don't go down there and buy a swan system only because i've learned that you know you buy cheap you buy twice it's just kind of yeah. a lesson in life in general but um when you're looking at that stuff, you want something that is going to be able to be viewed over the internet yeah. however you want to secure your network first so that 
that somebody that's malicious can't get into that and yeah. view your cameras too. Your so, password yeah. isn't QWERTY. Yeah, and you know, one thing I actually just did too, um, and it's always something I've practiced in in theory, but something I started doing in practice was was actually taking the modem that's supplied by your internet company and making my own or buying my own router so that my actual wireless network that every device is connected to is something I manage, which the great thing about that is that if your internet company's router ever shits the bed, you can just get a new one and it doesn't affect all the stuff that you've stored on your own network. So like you don't have to change passwords. You don't have to mess with any of that. You're just literally buying from them that, that, line connection that comes in to your router and that's secure so you have your own encryption on that router so that the devices like the smart devices that you connect to it can now be separate from that network so that it's not susceptible to to that kind of shit that's a that's a great recommendation yeah that's good and it's and a relatively inexpensive yeah yeah. and then always having a guest network too so that people that come over are not on your network because if they're on the same network that those devices are on they can manipulate that if you the fuck are you having right. come over exactly yeah i mean that's where i was going <laughs> to yeah. go with that you know yeah. most people that come over you could probably trust with that yeah. situation but yeah. you know you never know yeah I would, I would hope so, but, um all right so from back to the curb appeal yeah, then, yeah. so you got cameras um you know what, what are some other things that, that so just generally speaking kind of a double-edged sword with curb appeal is that while a lot of people take care of their homes. That's also broadcasting to a burglar that they have a nice yard. So does that mean they also have nice stuff inside? So that's mm-hmm. kind of that's kind of where that double-edged sword comes in. So you don't necessarily want to have a crappy yard just so that somebody doesn't want to yeah. come into your house. But um, you do want to make sure that if you're paying attention to your yard, that you also pay attention to things like locks on the gates and um, you know those ring doorbells. And now Nest makes a doorbell too, but these, you know, internet enabled doorbells are just phenomenal in terms of security now. And I mean, I will literally get people, I I mean, I look at everything when it comes to footage on my own cameras, but you know, I'll see people come to the door to solicit and they, they like go to reach for the doorbell and they, they figure out it's one of those ring doorbells and they just walk away. You know, it's just, they don't even want to fuck with it because they, they know, they know that as soon as they ring that, that you've got a two way line of communication with the homeowner, they might be there. They might not be there, which is great about those is that you can two way communicate. Maybe maybe you're taking a shit and watching them and just fucking with them. Yeah. Yeah. So people get nerved out when they know they're being watched. So, you know, that's a, that's a good deterrent in itself as well as having a sign that says like, I have a little, sign that says you know this home is under audio and video surveillance like it's just on my door so as soon as they come up to it they're like fuck (laughs) you know he's watching right yeah Yeah. so i mean that can be a huge deterrent in itself even signs i mean you can go on to even if you don't want to buy cameras you can go onto amazon and get you know fake signs for alarm companies and put them in your yard i mean that's a deterrent in itself yeah um what's what's your take on uh beware of dog signs i love them i think it's great to have one even if you don't have a dog yeah (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I know, uh, you know, even if you take like the home alone mentality of yes. like, you know, this uh, <laughs> audio recording of a fucking menacing barking dog, yeah. as dumb as that sounds, like the shit works. Yep. Um, I know. They've got some devices now that hook to, they basically hook to a timer and it's a, a glowing light that looks like a TV from the outside. Oh, no So sure. it'll actually pulse like a yeah. TV light will. Huh. So, so it looks like someone's yeah. home watching TV. You know, what's interesting about deception in general is that, you know, it's been used for thousands of yes. years, especially militarily, but, but even security wise, village security, et cetera, is that, you know, it's uh, it's almost like the, the combination of plain sight and deception of, of making things look way different than they are. I mean, that's really, especially with dogs. I mean, most dogs that 
you know, wouldn't necessarily do shit about anybody coming in their house will make just about every motherfucker think twice about it, you yeah. know? Uh, and that's why, why they're effective. But I mean, to me, you know, the, the, the crux of, of the, um, you know, of the advice here is, is to make everything seem, you know, not yes. just be harder to get in, but, but also seem harder to get in and some very simple inexpensive tactics. I mean, I've seen people, uh, you know, even, even if like they're not hooked up to shit, not even power, just having dummy cameras. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You know, just posted up all yep. over. Um, you know, to, you can get those on eBay. They're yeah, super cheap. <laughs> yeah. To make it look like <laughs> yeah. you got fucking, you know, uh, big, the big brother household yep. at your house. But, uh, you know, so even a, even like a size, uh, like a pair of size 12 sitting out front of the door, yeah. they're all muddy. Yeah. Make it look like big old fucking yeah. work boots. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, so in terms of you got the outer, outer ring of security and then, uh, in ter- terms of neighborhood, bring it in one notch to, you know, the aesthetics, the curb appeal. Now I, I know, you know, one of the things that I, I learned from you and, and, uh, you know, years ago with, with some of the door technology and stuff like that, let's get into uh, yeah. actually keeping people from now, like, Okay, they're getting in. Yeah, they've they've made it through the first two layers or have not been deterred and and what have you. So now they're physically trying to get them get themselves in. I think that's where we're now you're crossing over into, you know, physical security and how to do it. What uh, what's your take? Well, so the first thing I would say is that it kind of comes back to that padlock on the gate thing. So even if you have a chain link fence, put a padlock on your gate. And that's just yes, someone could just hop over it real quickly, even if you have a six foot high chain link fence. But um, when it comes to privacy fences, one of the things about those is that many people don't think that, yes, it's for your privacy, but as soon as a thief enters your backyard, guess what? It's for their privacy, too. Yeah. So they can do whatever the fuck they want to at your home, and now yeah. you know your neighbors can't see them. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a good reason, not to, first of all, not to leave heavy shit in your backyard that can yeah. be thrown through a window. Yeah. Um, that's a good tip in itself, you yeah. know, just to make sure things are secure and you know they can't use anything that's around your home yeah. to their advantage. But yeah, that's a good point too. I know, like with chopping wood, leaving a fucking yes, axe outside. Exactly. Or, you know, yeah. you know, um, one of the things we had when we when I first moved in. I don't here, want to get killed with my own axe. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> if I can leave a pistol out, yeah, yeah. a fucking shotgun leaning up against the outside of it. Yeah. Um, there, just something as simple as there was a pallet of fucking bricks left over that that uh, you know the the manu- or the construction crew that built the house they left. Yeah. Just something as simple as that, like leaving that in your backyard, like people were throwing bricks through your window or whatever. So yeah, no, that's, that's a good. Well, I mean, feedback. the average burglary not only takes place during those hours that I mentioned, but you're talking a max of like eight to twelve minutes that they're actually in your house. Yeah. And they're going straight for the master bedroom. Like yeah. that's just that's where the loot is, that's where your valuables are, that's where they're going. Yeah. So when it comes to actually securing the house on the inside, we can kind of delve more into that. But that's just something to be aware of, yeah. you know, when you're talking about the length of time that someone's actually probably realistically yeah. gonna be on your property. So midday hours and eight to twelve minutes. Yep. Okay. Yep. Oh, that's good shit. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to exterior stuff, obviously we talked about the gates and the fences. Um, and I would, I would highly recommend investing in, uh, in a good, so I, I struggle with this one on my own too. Um, but I either go back and forth between putting a, um, like a good Abloy padlock. Abloy is a tremendous brand. Um, they're, they're an overseas brand, but they are probably some of the best locks that you can get out there. How do you spell that? A-B-L-O-Y. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you can look for that brand. They're not in Home Depot or Lowe's or any shit like that. Which is why they're good. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's actually a good website called Security Snobs that sells them there. I think they're the primary distributor for the U.S. for those. So yeah. So a lot of the stuff that I'll talk about in terms of technology with locks are going to come back to that, that Abboy brand. Okay. Um, But so 
really on the fence, I like to have combination locks that are just really good combination locks that can't be cut with a yeah. you know padlock. And I have some that can't be shimmed, which we can talk about later, actually yeah. shimming a padlock. But yeah. um, I like to do that because the combination allows me to still give it to people that I that need to have it. And I, I go through like a, at least once a quarter, I'll change the combo no matter if I've only given it to one person that's still the only one coming there. It's yeah. just kind of a good habit to get into security-wise to change combinations and yeah. codes and things like that and passwords on the internet. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Pain in the yeah. The, uh, so that's kind of the first line of defense. Second line of defense is, you know, your front door, yeah. which is probably going to be one of the first things that somebody comes to because with all, with all criminals, they want to make sure you're not home. No criminal that... I, and I've actually talked to criminals too, which, you know, surprises a lot of people, but yeah. I like to, I like to learn. You know you're in, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. So a lot of people will make sure you're home first. They'll come up to the front door. They'll pretend to be, oh, we're just checking the lines or, you know, they'll have some kind of fucking construction vest on. They'll have some excuse to be there and look legitimately like they're supposed to be there. So yeah. again, the deception comes from both sides, not only from your side and securing yeah. your house, but they're going to use deception to, yeah. to get into your shit too. Yeah. Um, but you know, that front door, not only is it a good place for them to check first, it's a great place for them to gain entry to your house too, because it's quick. Yeah. So someone can kick in a front door, not make much noise. It's, it's probably quieter than breaking a window. Sure. Um, and they can get into your house in seconds. Yeah. I mean, the, the average door lock is made by, you know, Schlage or Quickset or something like that. They suck. Yeah. Um, and all that's standing in the way of that criminal and your house is that little piece of metal on your deadbolt and, and, <laughs> and your and lock. It's just, wood. it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and, and the wooden fucking door. Yeah. yeah. You know, and most, most builders use the cheapest fucking wood they can when yeah. they build a house. So, you yeah. know, that shit's going to splinter right off when somebody kicks in a door. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the first thing that I always come to is one, make sure you have a solid core door. Yeah. So, whether that's a, or a steel door. Yeah. So if you don't have a solid core door, just get a steel door, something that's really, um, can really stand up to abuse. Yeah. Um, and then invest in something like a, a door devil or a door armor. And what that is, is basically a big piece of metal that reinforces the door jam. So yeah. it goes on the jam side, not the door side. And what it's doing is it actually distributes the weight of a kick into, into that piece of wood at different places. Because in that, piece of metal that's there it's very thin but it's driven in with like three and a half inch screws in multiple places so again where it at where that wood actually needs to break is now distributed across a, a large span yeah. of of metal so it prevents that from getting kicked in and yeah. i mean i've I consider myself a fairly strong guy, and I mean, I've tried to kick that shit in before on multiple occasions with yeah. testing, and I can't get through it. Well, yeah, so, one of the things I found interesting was the, you know, working with the, was it Dallas SWAT or, mm -hmm. you know, with fucking battering rams. Yeah. You know, they and, can't even get in with that shit. Yeah. I mean, see, yeah. seeing the shout out to Dallas PD. <laughs> yep. The, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the fact that, uh, that it can withstand that kind of thing. And I know you talked about, you know, it buying time to begin with, but, uh, yep. you know, that's something where if, if it takes that kind of time, I mean, they may just give up and say, fuck it. Yep. Or at a minimum, if you are home, uh, then you're going to have plenty of time to exactly. respond. And then, you know, one other thing too, is that, you know, that shit's loud, you know, yep. and if, especially if it's broad daylight or even at night, is that, you know, kicking the shit out of a door 40 times in a row, like, yeah. you know, that's not something that goes unnoticed, Yeah, you know, so those are all good, uh, good, good elements to that. But, um, what uh, what else is, is there anything else that you can uh, you know provide in terms yeah, of that so layer? Yeah, so as I've got into uh, lock picking in general, 
what is what I think is the biggest benefit of learning lockpicking. And, you know, people like to say, oh, you know, only locksmiths need to know that. That's nefarious shit. You're, you're just trying to train people to be criminals. Like, no, that's really not it. The primary reason is that it teaches you what locks are good. Yeah. So it teaches you how locks function and how easy and susceptible they are to things like you know, using a bump key or um, a, a lock pick or just in general, just drilling a lock or something like that. So yeah. um, the the stronger the lock, the better made it is, the more you're going to pay for it, but the more secure it's going to be. And that's really why I kind of geek out on lock picking yeah. stuff is that I like to learn that. So sure. does, does that uh, Abloy company make home or door locks mm-hmm. as well? Yeah. And that's where I was going to go with that is that I actually recommend having a double cylinder lock. And what that means is that you have a keyway on both sides. So You can use a key to lock the door, and then on the back, there's also a key to lock the deadbolt on that side, too. So people might think, well, why do you need a key on the back of the door? Well, so think of it this way. Let's say a criminal enters through your window, and they, like, crawl through the window, and now they're trying to take your TV out. Well, if they can't fucking open the door to get your TV out, how are they going to get it out? Well, they're going to have to go through the window. Guess what? That's buying more time. That's more time that your security alarm company is going to be alerting the police and, you know, yeah. so on and so forth. So, you know, buying time can, to, can be on every angle. I mean, even if you have a back like glass door and you know, would think, well, why even bother with a, a back lock on or a double cylinder on that door? Same thing. You know, they, yeah. yes, they can always break out the glass, but there's still a narrower passageway that they have to move through and, yeah. you know, just slowing them down any way you can. Yeah. So you talk about windows. Uh, one of the things I talked about on the first podcast was that 3M film, yep. which is, Security got, film. which has got awful expensive, but, yep. uh, one thing I think that's important for people to realize, whether you're building a house, uh, looking at houses to buy rent, what have you, or even, you know, you own your home, it has what it has is, you know, what's, what are some good tips for, for windows that, um, whether, you know, take, take the windows in this place as an example. I mean, you know, what, what can you offer in terms of, Hey, if, if your windows are X, you can do this to them to at least make things more difficult for people, whether it's furniture yeah. or you know, whatever. So what I like are those little window locks. They're really cheap. They're just like a little set screw that screws into your window frame and it, it acts like a little lock. So it basically prevents the the window from lifting up on the track. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have those on all, all my windows and that's another just time issue, you know? Yeah. Yes. Can you, can someone just unscrew them and, you know, take them off the window? Yeah. But rightfully so. I also want to be able to take those off if I need to open a window in a fire or something like that too. Like yeah. I don't want to permanently close my windows. Yeah. So short of doing that, I think that's one of the best options that's out there. Yeah. And then like you mentioned, that security film is really, really yeah. good too. Is, is there, to your knowledge, a, a security film or, or similar, like say, I know there's, I don't know if it's 3M or not, but I know that there's, I, I looked at them just because the sun's so fucking intense here. <laughs> yeah. Is it like there's some UV films that, uh, you know, that help with glare and, and, you know, keeping shit from inside your house getting as hot or, or fucked up by the sun. Does something like that help uh, some of the kind of the tensile strength or the integrity of windows in terms of getting bricks and shit thrown through? Yeah, actually, if you're going to invest in something that's not the security film, and what that security film does is that you can get it installed on both panes or both sides of the glass, but what that does is it just prevents, um, it's not foolproof, so meaning eventually over a given period of time, they're still going to be able to crack the windshield or window, Um, but what it does is instead of that glass fragmenting and breaking, it actually stays in the film so that it 
you know, it takes longer for somebody to get into. So yeah. it's not, you know, it's not going to prevent them necessarily from getting in um, all the time, but it's going to at least slow them down again. But uh, what I like to recommend over just a standard UV type thing is I like, uh, I like solar screens. Yeah. So solar screens are great because they are actually screwed into the window frame in multiple places. So they're not as easy to take off of a window as like just a standard screen is yeah. to get into a house. Um, but what's great about them too is they offer a degree of privacy in the sun. Mm-hmm. So at night you can see straight through them if you leave your window open. But in the day when you're standing behind a solar screen looking out, no one can see you. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're just great for that. So I see, I see the peeping Tom coming yes. back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been known to fracture an occasional arc. No, that's a, that's a good tip because again, you know, being able to see, I mean, it, it, just like, you know, if you hear shit at night, like yeah. keep all, like I keep all of the outside lights on and the inside ones, you know, are only on if I absolutely need them. Like, and you can, same thing. If you're outside, you can't see a fucking thing in mm-hmm. here. We have solar screens here as well, but, but, you know, just, just little things like that, just almost from kind of a protocol standpoint, I think uh, is good shit for people to know, but, yeah. um, in terms of, of the windows, um, you know, as it relates to dual pane versus, you know, gas filled or you mm-hmm. know, types of windows, is there anything you can, you I know? like double pane windows or double hung windows too, yeah. because they, they do offer a beefier window, yeah. um, beefier frame. Um, the double pane is just more glass that somebody has to get through as well. And, yeah. you know, they'll fill that with a gas so that, you know, it doesn't do the old crappy window thing, like fog up on the yeah. inside. But yeah, yeah was, that's a great thing to invest in if you can. Yeah. Um, in terms of the layout of the house, uh, furniture in front of window, shit like that, is there anything protocol wise that, uh, sticks out as being something? Well, like- I will say something about the curb appeal back to that real quick is that you should always keep your bushes and hedges maintained around windows because you, what you don't want to give anywhere on your property is a place for thieves to hide. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having shorter cut bushes are great. You don't want somebody to be able to hide behind something when a car goes by, you know, you, you kind of want to look at that. Yeah. Um, and that goes for trees too. If you have trees in your front yard and the branches are getting low, they can actually obstruct the view from the street of somebody standing in your front door or at your house. So, yeah. you know, that's something to kind of keep in yeah. mind as well. No. Yeah, no, that's a, that's yeah. a really good point. I mean, you can, you dive into a fucking bush that's all overgrown shit. You could, you could fucking camp there for yeah. two nights and they wouldn't fucking find you. So, no. Or you could plant some poison ivy back there yeah. and just fuck them up afterwards. But. Some fucking <laughs> pungy pits under yeah. the windows. Yeah, yeah. The, as far as like furniture in front of the windows, I mean, you could do that. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily a deterrent, though. That's more of an inconvenience when somebody's already in, yeah. which, again, that's still slowing them down and buying time. But yeah. um, I don't. I guess I don't really lump that in as a you know, a tactic necessarily. Yeah. It just kind of depends if, if it naturally happens, then all the better. But yeah. you know, I wouldn't try to stage furniture just yeah. so it's in people's way when they get in. Yeah, no, that's a good point too. I mean, one thing too, um, that I don't think most people think about is whether it's construction of a home or whatever is the, is the, how far down the windows go. Oh yeah. You know, uh, is that, you know, some, some are waist high or whatever, but mm-hmm. you know, there's plenty that go all the way to the fucking ground or close to it. And obviously that that's one more thing that makes it easier, but yep. uh, one more thing to keep in mind. Um, in terms of, of the exterior of the house, one thing, I mean, I, I have my, my opinion on it, I guess it, to me, it seems like brick would be a far better material than say vinyl siding in terms of getting through, mm-hmm. If somebody was to drive through, or I mean, you can use a fucking chainsaw or a quickie saw and get mm-hmm. through vinyl siding. Would would you? Agree no, with I agree that? with that absolutely. Yeah. Stone, yeah. stone and yeah. brick is a preferred yep. preferred exterior. Plus, you get a discount on your insurance. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's cheaper. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and then uh, you know, kind of 
one thing we didn't kind of talk about at the exterior is garage doors, which in itself prevent a lot or present a lot of problems uh, when it comes to security. Um, not only are they susceptible to attacks with your garage door opener, so meaning that if you're not familiar with that, what somebody can do is they can actually take a coat hanger and unbend it, and they've still got the hook at the end where we normally hang up a coat hanger, and they can wedge it. Uh, you, if you push on a garage door at the very top, you can actually open a gap in the garage door, yeah. and you can use that coat hanger to fish the emergency release handle. So in every garage door yeah. that already hasn't been secured, you've got an emergency release handle so that if the power goes out, you can pull that emergency release handle and actually open the door. Yeah. Well, that's a double-edged sword again because if somebody pulls that, when they're outside of the home, now they've they can literally just open the door and get right in. Yeah. Um, so, what I like to do is we actually came out with a product that um, is able to uh, still be cut away because what you don't want to do is eliminate the ability for that emergency release handle to still operate. Mm -hmm. So what I like to do is I like to actually cut the handle off. So meaning I'll untie that string um, and shorten it actually a little bit too, just so uh, I'll use my wife's height as an example. So I made sure that she can still grab that, yeah. that piece of rope, but it's not long enough to where somebody could still potentially hook it. Yeah. Even though it doesn't have the handle on it, it's usually most garage door openers, it's a big T handle. It's like yeah. a red piece of plastic. Yeah. And yep. it's a great thing to hook with a, a coat hanger because as soon as any pressure gets pulled on that, it just cuts away the garage yeah. door opener. No, that's, that's a fucking great tip. Something yeah. I certainly never thought of. You know? Yeah. Um, so once you've actually cut that, you can actually loop a Basically, it looks like a glorified zip tie, yeah. uh, but it's it's one that's kind of meant to break away, kind of like the fire extinguisher zip ties. So mm -hmm. they still have that breakaway function. Yeah. And you can loop that around the, uh, basically, there's two holes in your garage door openers. Most of them are like this. Uh, but then you can add a, another layer of protection by looping that in there so that it takes a little more force to be able to, to hit that. Yeah. Um, because somebody that's truly skilled, if they wanted to, could actually still hook the the actual release itself on the garage door opener. Yeah. I mean, it's a one in a million shot, but it still could yeah, happen. It's still possible. Yeah. One, one thing, you know, for everybody listening, I know we were talking about this before we uh, started recording, like, like we, like I happen to do sometimes, <laughs> talk, talk too much about the shit before we talk about it, but is that garage doors in general are, are fucking cheesy and, yep. and flimsy and shitty. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where most burglars know better, but you know, one, one of the most dangerous false, senses of security i think homeowners have is that garage Absolutely. door you know and, and we were talking about making sure that you lock the the door going from your house into your mm -hmm. garage door like i always lock it uh you know but you know between windows and garages or the fact that most garage doors are so flimsily made i mean you could use a pair of fucking tin snips yep. honestly and cut a hole in the fucking thing yeah, uh, it's good to treat that just like the exterior door. Yeah. So protect it, put yeah. a peephole on it, you know, reinforce yeah. it with a, a door devil or door armor. Solid core yeah, door. Yeah, solid core yeah. door. Yeah. yeah. Good lock, yeah. double cylinder lock. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, those are all, all good tips. The, the garage, I think, is, is again, something that, that gets uh, miss or overlooked. One thing that's good, too, is if you're going out of town, um, a great way to kind of add security is to get a couple of C-clamps, and you can actually clamp them on the track. Oh, okay. um, above like the bottom roller oh, so yeah. that if somebody does try to open your garage door, it's at least going to stop that bottom roller on each yeah. side yeah. Um, so that they can't lift it yeah, up. That's a good point. I mean, obviously it would suck to try to get into your garage door if you did that, but yeah. you know, don't, if you for, need to, don't forget yeah, when right. you come home and pop <laughs> right. it and fucking screw your garage door. Open right. up. But no, those are, that's great tips too. One thing that 
I know for me, that's something else to think about is that, you know, the stuff that you keep in your garage yep. also, like yes. most times, I mean, like now, do you want to put fucking axes somewhere else or, or whatever? You know, maybe not, but at least be a little cognizant of where they're at and how easy they are to get to and shit like that. Right. I mean, yeah, no, or at least lock down your valuables. So if you're, if you got a jet ski in your garage, you know, put a cable lock on it so that, yeah. you know, someone can't just freaking roll up and steal it or yeah. something like that. Like yeah. at least lock down the valuables or at least try to hide them or something yeah. like that in your garage. And, and don't have big, heavy-ass tools that would be easy to break <laughs> into your house that, that a, a criminal or robber wouldn't wouldn't or couldn't carry with them. Yep. And then they're sitting right next to your door waiting to bust in your house with. But One thing I do want to mention, this is a pretty valuable tip because it's easy to do and it doesn't require much effort at all. But on most garage door opener systems, you've got a little button that's a lock button. Mm-hmm. And most people don't understand what that's for. But if you press that button at night when you go to sleep it will disable any remotes from being able to open your garage door. So that if someone's going around your neighborhood and using those code generators to pop up, because that's a thing that can happen too. You can spoof the garage code on a lot of openers to open the garage door and you can just, you know, waltz right in. Um, But that will prevent a signal like that from being able to open a garage. Or if you're dumb enough to leave your garage door open in your car at night and somebody breaks in your car and now they've got access to your yeah. house. So don't do that either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a good, that's yeah. a good tip in itself. Yeah. And also for you spouses out there, it's a really good way to fuck with your significant other. Ah, yes. Go ahead and lock the garage door. <laughs> hey, you didn't want to come home at fucking 10? Well, yeah. Yeah, here's what you get. Or, or for your kids, if they're driving, you can fuck with them too. But, <laughs> but uh, just don't forget. Um, all right. So we got uh, got kind of the exterior and getting in. Uh, in terms of inside the house, um, in terms of your assessment, what uh, what can you provide for uh, things to do, not to do, et cetera? Once, so once so the big thing is... You know, given that eight to 12 minute window, like I said, they're going to hit right for the master bedroom. So if you've got valuables, leaving them out is a no no. I mean, obviously, that's the first shit someone's going to take. Mm-hmm. And if you've got a safe, you know, in that eight to 12 minute time frame, that's enough time for someone to actually take a safe out of a house, you know, and work on it later. So make sure you're bolting, bolting down safes and not just you know, setting them down because all safes can be bolted down. They've got holes in the bottom. You pop out these little things and there's at least four anchor points in every safe and a good safe uh, that you can bolt them down with. So that's a, that's a, that's number one. Um, Number two is actually considering hiding the safe. So just like I said, most people are going to head to the master bedroom, but if you've got a, a spare bedroom, like a kid's bedroom or a craft room or something like that you have, if you can hide the safe in an enclosure in those kind of rooms, at least it, masks it a little bit so no one's like oh well there's the valuables right there i just you know there's the safe yeah so at least it's a little harder to locate um and it's not in the master bedroom which you know is a is a plus in itself yeah so and then if you're going out of town it's also advisable to get like a safety deposit box because then you can just run that shit up to the bank throw it in a safety deposit box you don't have to worry about it while you're gone and when you come back you just go to the bank and grab it and come back home with it so that's a another thing to do yeah no it's something that i think uh, myself included i would i would not have thought about that a a relatively easy like you don't want to drop five grand on a fucking safe exactly yeah no that's a good point what's your take on uh, like coffee tables and and paintings and shit that have like the for weapon storage and or you know valuable storage is like again it's in, it's not a safe it's in plain sight but it's like you'd never think you yeah know. i get freaked out about those yeah. you know i i think they're a great development i think it's really cool that companies have come out with those but i just feel that 
they're becoming so popular that people start looking for those now. Like yeah. they're, they're going to grab a shelf on the wall and pull on it, or they're going to throw your paintings off the wall, looking for a wall safe or yeah. somewhere you keep guns like that, or they're going to yeah. start tugging on mirrors. And yeah. it's just, it's becoming more ubiquitous nowadays enough to where criminals are starting to learn about it. So that's the danger in, you know, yeah. having an AR and putting it behind a mirror rather than in a safe where it belongs. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's my worry with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe booby trap all yes. of your coffee tables <laughs> and fucking mirrors and shit. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, in terms of uh, security systems, pr- primarily camera systems inside the house, I know, you know, I have my preferences, whatever, but uh, any any recommendations you can make for, for people, whether it's how they're set up or, or what? I would uh, say that if your wife's on board, it's probably okay. But if she balks at having cameras in the house, it may be an, another thing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Maybe there's a reason she's yeah, balking about it. Right. <laughs> Maybe that's an extra reason to yeah, put them in. Exactly. <laughs> Why don't you want cameras, honey? I don't, don't want to. I don't want to be on the internet later. Yeah, yeah, yeah no shit. <laughs> yeah, the. Uh, I mean, that's really the thing with those is that it's never a bad idea to have a view of your house, but maybe, you know, potentially you've got some kind of wireless camera that you can set up when you're out of town or something like that. You know, to to monitor things or when you when you leave for the day. Yeah. Uh, being able to have that on. So, I mean, it's it's definitely not a negative to yeah. have cameras inside as well. I, I guess, you know, for, for any spousal resistance to that, I mean, what, what would be the negative? I mean, is, is that even really a, a potential for that? I, you know, I think it's just fear. Yeah. I think a lot of that is, is, you know, just being afraid of the footage winding up in the wrong place. And, you know, you're your home is kind of your castle and, you know, somebody observing or being able to potentially observe what goes on inside your house is kind of a, a fear-based mechanism for a yeah. lot of people. And, you know, I, there's a great book called The Gift of Fear, which yeah. I would absolutely recommend if if nobody out there listening to it has read it. But, um, you know, a lot of what Gavin DeBecker says in that book is that, uh, you know, fear is just stuff that hasn't come true yet. Yeah. So it's just, it, we fear what what we don't know don't know exactly yeah. so yeah. you know yeah. it's just that that underlying problem and yeah you know Amen. anyway <laughs> yeah uh in terms of inside the house anything else you can uh you can offer for let's see we talked about safes we talked about the double cylinder locks um so there's also the reason i recommend that door armor company that i mentioned earlier is that um, they also make some other ways to secure different kinds of doors. So they can secure door frames that have a, a, a window on them too. Um, they can secure double doors, which that's a huge issue for some people because they have, you know, two doors in the front of their house, yeah. you know, which are tremendously insecure. So if you're ever building a house and you have the option to do one door or two doors, do yeah. one door, yeah. <laughs> just make it a good door. But yeah. um, there are, there are uh, methods to secure those kind of doors too, but sure. I would definitely recommend you know, that as well. Yeah. Um, and I like this, this door armor place too. I actually brought this as an example, yeah. but <clears throat> so what they do is they've actually got extra reinforcement points. And this is one of the things that's led me to kind of research this a little more with them. I got the Spanish side up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've got a, so they've got these door shields, which actually increase the, so rather than just driving long screws into your hinge side, You've, they've actually got these plates that ride over the hinges to secure it even more. And then actually on the latch itself, like the normal latch, not the deadbolt, yeah. they've got these basically bar plates that fit over those to secure it even more. Can, so Can we pop these out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is a pretty good, well-rounded kit. Um, and no, not knocking door devil or anything, because I've used their products as well for a long time. 
but I just have really appreciated kind of the extra yeah, so above the, and beyond with that that's gone on. All right, so these, uh, you know, for the YouTube folks, uh, so this this covers the, the plate uh, where where the deadbolt would go into, correct? Mm-hmm. The deadbolt and then also your normal handle for the door. Okay. Yeah, so as you can see, like, you know, typically this is, is made of wood or it's just part of the wood frame. Uh, and so this covers it uh, with two holes to put big, big fucking screws into to make it uh, much, much more heavy, heavy Just like that. They're yeah. massive chonga yeah, screws. Yeah, these big, big three inch, uh, three and a half inch wood screws. And so, like you were saying, you know, it it, redis- it, it redistributes, um, you know, all of that pressure. If you were to kick something, it makes it much, much more difficult. Most residential doors you can ju- you can literally just donkey kick them right the fuck in and, yep uh, so then this covers the hinge yeah that right? so, so that's a you, way to reinforce the hinge plate how, how so does that, how does that work? yeah so like your normal hinge let's just say my hand right here is the yeah. hinge um this actually goes over the uh frame hinge okay. side so you these screws or these areas you take your screws out of the hinge you don't have to take the hinge off you just have to take two of the screws off the hinge yeah. and just drive them back through okay. like basically replacing them with the long screws but then driving the long screws through this plate okay and and this is a one screw to replace on the yeah the top and the bottom of the hinge so okay and then this uh, runs the length of yeah, the frame. Yeah, that's the plate like yeah. we were describing earlier. So yeah. it's not thick steel, but yeah. again, it's it's just distributed that way. Thing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. And I like uh, Dormer too gives you the ability to just kind of pop those out. Yeah. Um, so it gives you these pre-cut locations for where your deadbolt. That's and nice. Where everything might so line up. This is up. door armor. Yeah. Yeah. So there you have it, folks. Door armor is a good good reinforcer. And again, the, the solid core door uh, makes a huge, yes. makes all the difference, frankly. Yeah. Uh, those two things combined is not not expensive. But we'll make, yeah, I mean, uh, this package, just to give you a rough estimate, runs like 60, 70 bucks. I mean, yeah. it's super inexpensive to, yeah. to do. Yeah. It's it's cheap peace of mind, yeah. at least. Yeah, you know? no shit. Absolutely. And again, maybe it's buying you that time to call the police if you yeah. hear somebody kicking in your door. Or grab your shotgun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Castle doctrine. Exactly. Um, all right. So um, anything else you want to provide for kind of inside the house that... Uh, that we haven't talked about that you can you can recommend. I mean, we talked we talked about the safe stuff. We talked about the dog stuff. Um, I would recommend really kind of mapping out a plan too. Yeah. So you know, if you are home and something happens, uh, one of the worst things that could happen is for something to happen and then both you and your spouse or kids don't know what's going on. Yeah. So if you haven't rehearsed, like here's what to do in this situation, like that can be, that can be better than anything you do to your home. I mean, first you have to keep people out, but um, having that, that level of training, whether it's, you know, just a couple of minutes once a month or something like that, just to run through. Remember if anybody breaks in, this is where I want you to go. And you know, there's a cell phone there. Maybe you stash a spare cell phone in what you deem a safe room, you know, and you make sure that your significant other or your kids are going to that room and you're the one that's going to sweep the house so that you know that they're not going to get in your way if you're, you're walking around or yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that's a great point. And, and one thing too, I think, uh, largely gets overlooked. I mean, it's, it's fun and sexy to talk about all the cool, yeah. cool items and, and gear and, and review shit and, and talk about, you know, all that stuff. But again, like, like you said, I mean, uh, you know, whether it's fire evacuation drills, I mean, we do them in schools and, and office mm-hmm. buildings and things and have protocols for active shooters, et cetera. And most people and their families have never discussed that. One thing that, that just kind of comes to mind as we're talking about it is like, having an air horn 
you know oh yeah where it's like hey if you hear the air horn that's fucking that means go here mm-hmm. you know or, or whatever whether it's you know an air horn or a fucking another type of alarm something that you can easily trip uh you know or you have them in several places or, or whatever something like that is as just having a protocol in place where you know if there's a fire this is what we're doing mm-hmm. if if somebody breaks in and one of us realizes that this is how we're going to handle that and and making sure that everybody in your house is on the same sheet so again so that uh, you know, especially for a place like here, people aren't getting fucking shot, yeah. you know, that aren't supposed yeah. to, or, uh, or, you know, at a minimum is that, you know, everybody's on the same page and, uh, and can review that shit. So that's a, that's a really good point. So, yeah, I uh, would say something that you could use for that would be your, um, keeping your keys by your bed and just being able to activate your alarm on your car. Mm-hmm. One, it could be a deterrent if you hear somebody in your garage or something, but two, it could act as that, yeah. you know, kind of alarm, yeah. you know, hopefully, but, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And same thing. I mean, I know a lot of uh, security companies have key fobs for the for the home alarm as well. Yes. Same same kind of uh, mechanism. But um, that's a good point, too, that I, I should bring up is that to make sure you have a duress code on yeah. your alarm panel. So typically a lot of alarm companies have a straight down the middle thing where you can press all four buttons in a row and it's it deactivates the alarm. But it mm-hmm. also alerts them that you're under duress. Yeah. Um, so that if you're kidnapped or taken and made to come home to your house to for them to rob you or what have you um and it turns into some kind of home invasion at least the alarm company is you know kind of alerted to that fact yeah no absolutely that's good good point so yeah. um yeah ton, ton of good uh, good useful info in terms of uh, you know help helping protect your house both from an aesthetic standpoint a deterrent standpoint and then also a physical security standpoint um, I've got kind of a list of other things just that are kind of in that same realm of of uh, prepping, if you mm-hmm. will, for different uh, emergency contingents, uh, you know, et cetera. I'll just kind of go down the list here. Um, go bags. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so go bags are kind of a hot hotbed topic. And for those of you listening that don't know what a go bag is, I mean, it's essentially the, uh, you know, kind of a backpack or a, a you know, a carrying bag or, or something like that, um, you know, carrier bag type type thing that you have, um, you know, a, a different host of products to, to aid in, in having to, you know, grab at a moment's notice and bug the fuck out. Some people call them bug out bags. You know, I, I have my my thoughts, but I'm curious, you know, from because it's something that you kind of live, work, breathe every day is that, you know, I, I kind of look at it as in three different categories. There's the essential must have mm-hmm. category. There's the good to have. And then there's the fucking luxury. If you got, you know, sure. both money and, you know, don't mind carrying 90 pounds of shit. If you could kind of walk through, you know, what's a good go bag in terms of the actual bag? I love your the ITS bag that I got from you that several, discreet several messenger years bag. ago. Thanks, yeah. fucking awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, and, and I use it. Uh, I, I keep it with me all the time for that reason. But um, at the at the risk of sounding like shameless <laughs> plugs, but but you know what to look for in the actual bag itself. And then if you could kind of walk us through those categories yeah. of you know must have, nice, and then luxury. Well, I would say in terms of the actual bag, it needs to you know as much as. And I'm trying not to knock my own product here, but <laughs> at the at the risk of of doing that, I would say that if you're truly using it as something that's not going to be just a bag you grab and move out to, you know, a vehicle with, or you're not just moving down the street with, if you're really going to put some miles in, you definitely want a backpack style um, for that. So if you keep it in your car, you keep it at home, what have you, um, you really want something that you're familiar with. And that's, that's probably the biggest thing that most people do is they'll, they'll buy a bag, they'll put, they'll put a bunch of stuff in it. And then one, they'll never use the stuff. uh, So they won't, 
you know, go through some mock disaster where they actually have to use it. And then two, they've never practiced moving with it. So it becomes this burden to them because it weighs 80 pounds or something like that. And they're not used to hiking with that kind of weight or they didn't include some shoes to go along with it so that they're now walking in with an 80 pound pack and flip flops when shit goes down. So, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, those are all good points. So. And, then, and then kind of non-discreet, too, or yeah. undis- non-discreet. So yeah. I would say yeah. something discreet, yeah. you know, that's not Doesn't stand blazing out. tactical and, you yeah. know, this is my go bag. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Hanging out like a set of dog balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty obvious. Um, so in terms of, you know, obviously, you know, what what you put in it um, and, and what it's used for is going to vary very very dramatically depending on who you are where you live you know what's important to you you know how far your nearest relatives are those are all things to think about but what what kind of uh things could you provide in terms of on a on a basic level uh, for people to have whether it's in a vehicle or their house or both uh you know to have with them well i would say the house is probably the most common because i think that in most disaster scenarios you're probably going to have be more likely to bug in than bug out so to speak yeah. um just because you know if something happens leaving your house is it's honestly it's for me it's the last thing i want to have to do yeah. i don't want to have to load up my dog and you yeah. know my wife and go somewhere and you know get out of town like i yeah. that's worst case scenario for me i hope i never have to do that honestly yeah. i am prepared to do that but i don't like yeah. even thinking really much about that being the yeah. the solution so to speak so i guess you know if, if it's from a vehicle or yeah. or something like that what uh, what kind of shit would you put in it so first of all i kind of break that down into into a couple different categories for so you know first and foremost i think is kind of the rule of three so you know you can go you know three hours without uh shelter three minutes without air three days without water and three weeks without food. So you really want to kind of look at it from that perspective. First, in my opinion, is that first of all, you know, air, you know, you think, oh, that's laughable. Of course, I'm gonna be able to breathe. But, you know, if there's a fire or something like that's happening, no, you actually probably are not going to be able to breathe to get out of whatever situation you're in. So I like to, I've always been doing, I've done this for probably four or five years now. I've been researching kind of escape hoods and things like that, just because it's kind of something that interests me because I feel like there's, there's kind of this gap in, in the market and I don't wear a fucking tinfoil hat. I'm just a realist. I think that, you know, Hey, if there's a fire, you know, that's real. Well, it's not like fires never happen. (laughs) Well, the lack of oxygen is going to be a real factor in, in a fire. So, um, a lot of these escape hoods and stuff, yes, you've got something to filter the air that you're breathing with. And there's something to, you know, protect your, your face from breathing in those fumes, but the air supply is very limited. Like, you know, short of having a fucking scuba tank on your back or SCBA or something, there's not much on the market that exists. That's going to be able to really sustain you. Mm -hmm. Um, and even gas mass is, is kind of a misnomer because that's just filtering the air that's coming in. If there's a lack of oxygen, yeah, it, that doesn't mean shit. I mean, yeah. air is not coming in no matter what. Yeah. So um, I actually started researching some stuff uh, lately on these masks that the Secret Service uses. And they're super expensive if you were to buy them commercially. And I don't even know if they're for sale. But um, there's a guy, I actually just did an episode of uh, our gear tasting show on this. But there's a guy that's selling these things on eBay. And these are basically former Secret Service masks that they keep in their vehicles. So yeah. um, they call these things their kind of VRU or vehicle 
response unit or something like that, but um, they're basically hoods. They're, they're kind of heavy, and these are expired, yeah. uh, but they have a little seal in here, a disc, that tells you if it's pink, then it's bad, um, and these are all blue, which means they're still good, but they expired in 2013, and, you know, the thing about expired products, and I'm just not a big believer in, you know, when dates happen that everything's expired and yeah. you just got to stop using it. But, um, the oxygen canister in here, I've, I tested one of these, I actually opened one and put it on and made sure that it still works. But, yeah. um, there's a little actual O2 cylinder in here and it's got a gasket around the neck. So when you put on this mask, um, that O2 starts flowing when you break the seal mm-hmm. and it can actually give you, I think it's like 14 to like 15 minutes to like five to 15 minutes or something like that of oxygen. But no shit. Yeah. I and think they're, I mean, they're probably amazing. weighs three pounds. Yeah. Two, three pounds. And I have these under the seat in my vehicle. So yeah. I, I mean, I just figure, and I've got them at the house too. Yeah. Lucky land casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. For those of you, uh, if you're not watching the YouTube, you're going to want to pop it up. Yeah. uh, Pretty pretty simple, not not huge. I mean, you're not going to put it in a fucking back pocket, but uh, for sure you can throw it inside of a briefcase or a small bag or whatever. Yeah, but I mean, not the not the lightest thing in the world. But at yeah. the same time, I think it's one of the best things value wise you can probably pick up out there too. For sure. And but, so so this, I mean, it's just it's a hood that you throw over, and when, yeah. and when you do it, it activates. Uh, yeah, you actually. So there's like a kind of a handle system when you open the package, and as you open the the handle, it's kind of like an old UDT life preserver. You yeah. po- you pop the little. CO2 or, or like cartridge. the airplane uh, yeah exactly uh, yeah where you just it's activated by opening it yeah and then so it, it seals around your neck and, and then can give you up to 15 minutes mm-hmm. of good breathing air no shit yeah depending on your activity level obviously if you're yeah. running you're going to use more sure. o2 and but, yeah i mean at a minimum you're going to get several minutes yeah. which is the difference between fucking yeah. life and death exactly and, and a lot of fire cases so how, how much was that oh it's like 20 bucks on ebay no they're, shit they're great yeah, yeah. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, great thing to have in, a, in under the seats of a vehicle. Also, obviously, that'd be something be great for a couple different rooms in the house. You know, should you find yourself yeah. in a house fire like that? Again, that could be the difference between you making it out or not. Mm-hmm. So 
a great resource on those for sure. Um, yeah, and I wish they were more, I wish companies were really manufacturing these more because obviously yeah. this is a, a specially built product for Secret Service because yeah. they're, they're traveling around in bulletproof vehicles that if they get hit, they have to be able to sustain themselves in yeah. a vehicle like that. So I think that's the premise for those. Yeah. But um, honestly, from looking around at what's available commercially for fire escape stuff, like there's yeah. just, that's probably the best thing I've seen. So, so. you entrepreneurs out there <laughs> listening, if you, if you got the, uh, the working capital to pull that off, yeah. it's pro- probably a good, good, uh, agreed. Yeah. Good, good stream there. But, uh, all right. So obviously that's good to keep in a yeah. vehicle. What, uh, what other shit do you, would you keep in? So I'd say right? water is probably some of the next or the next big thing that I think about. And then also fire, you know, with water, whether you're storing water in your vehicle or you got a couple of Nalgene's that you keep topped off and replenished from time to time, um, or whether that's carrying a water filter, you know, to be able to filter water from a water source that you find along the way, all that's really important. Um, and then also, you know, kind of along the water line, you really want to make sure that you don't you don't just buy some over the counter water filter and think that oh this is all I need. Well, there's a lot of different elements in water that can fuck with you. So um, one of the things that you know most mechanical filters like a pump filter don't treat is viruses. Yeah. So you know to treat viruses you really have to you know, sterilize the water. I mean obviously boiling is the best thing that you can do to water to yeah. begin with, um, and you can always filter it through a sock if you had to or something to get the sediment out before you boil it, um, but Viruses are something that not many products take into account. So um, like in our little mini survival kits, we have a little aqua, I forget the name of it, but basically they're little tablets to treat for viruses for water purification. It's not as good as using a a pump filter or something like that, but the boat, but two of them combined can really give you, you know, enough to to give you really fresh, clean water. um, Since we're talking about water, we'll talk about, uh, you know, for the home and disaster preparedness here also. But since we're talking about it is the, um, I bought a uh, Camelback UV, like a little uh, sterilizer thing, yeah, yeah. That, that does it through the cap, which is pretty wild technology. And I, yeah. I was, I was actually really surprised to, um, you know, to hear or to read and, and find out through researching, like actually how how well they work. Of people, you know, all these different reviews of of uh, you know them people taking them all over the world and literally like pulling water out of the fucking Amazon, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and using this product to, um, you know, to, to treat it and then drinking it and, and it kills fucking everything. But one of the things just for me, I keep it both here in, in the house. And when I go on a trip, I mean, I don't, I don't keep it uh, in my car if I'm driving a fucking Walmart, but you know, if I'm going on a camping trip or, or an out of state trip, you know, long road trip, I have, you know, some mechanisms or, or protocols that I use. And that's one of them is a, is a solar, a uh, little solar, you know, trifold charger. Mm-hmm. That way, no matter what the power source is or isn't, I can I can charge this this bottle, and I'll, I'll grab it and show it here in a minute. But uh, is is uh, those two things combined, you know, can get you out of a lot of fucking stitch, sticky situations yeah, of, of uh, you know being able to charge that thing, and then also be able to treat. A pretty significant amount of water really no matter what it is i mean you could drink fucking sewage with that <laughs> thing i mean not that you did taste like shit but literally but uh but anyway you know those are those Be are clean sewage, resources though. yeah yeah <laughs> but um so yeah obviously water is a big uh, a big um contingent or problem that you want to be prepared for uh what i know you sell a host of different um med kits and things mm-hmm. like that and, and there's a lot of debate you know tourniquets or not or you know how how much uh how many times it gets over overused people are using them too much or not enough or whatever but 
just kind of a basic for the layman that doesn't know shit about the ABCs of of triage as it relates to the well, medical community. So one of the first things to understand is that primary to anything is keeping blood in the body. So mm-hmm. the more blood you can keep in the body, the better chance you have of staying alive. So yes, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of back and forth between do I tourniquet or do I not, but in my opinion, yes, a tourniquet is probably one of the, the first and foremost things that you want to take care of in a traumatic bleeding situation. You want to make sure that you stop the flow of blood because yes, you can pack a wound and maybe you don't need a tourniquet. You can get enough pressure, you know, with a pressure dressing and things like that. But in that time that it's taking you to pack the wound or in the time that it's taking you to open the packages and get into your kit, you're losing blood. You know, and if you think about that, you can lose a shitload of blood in a very short amount of time and enough to kill you. So yeah. the, the longer that you can keep that blood in the body, the better. So even if, even if you're not planning on keeping this tourniquet on long term, or it, honestly, it's better to just keep it on in my yeah. opinion. But um, even if you're not planning to, if in the event that you think a limb's going to fall off, which it's not, <laughs> if you, uh, if you at least put that on first, you're at least going to stop that flow of blood so that you can pack a wound or something like that. So, yeah. Um, I would definitely recommend the tourniquet and get one that's um, COT triple C approved too. So there's a committee that the military founded. It's called the Committee on Tactical Combat Casualty Care. And this is years and years of researching battlefield injuries um, that the military has under the belt in this organization. And there's they only recommend two tourniquets, which are the CAT and the, the soft T wide. And those tourniquets have just been known to perform way better than anything else. They're, they're recommended and they're trusted. So in my opinion, that's, that's really kind of the go-to. Um, but just having a tourniquet on you really could mean the difference between life and death. If you're only going to carry one thing, like I would, I would carry a tourniquet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So vehicle wise, we've got, uh, you know, the, the oxygen mask, you know, the water, whether you're carrying, you know, some water with you or, uh, the ability to treat it in some capacity, um, and then a, a useful tourniquet from uh, what, what's the uh, organization? Um, so, uh, let's see, TacMed Solutions is the one that makes the soft T-wide. That's okay. the one I like. It's got a metal windlass. We also sell them on ITS, but yeah, okay. yeah that's, uh, that's, that's what I recommend. But, yeah. I mean, there's a reason, a method beyond the madness. We can get into that later, but, yeah. you know, that's kind of the, the premise on that. We, we also have... Um, trauma kits that we vacuum seal and sell to. So yeah. they kind of treat the three leading causes of preventable death as established by that TCCC yeah. organization. I mean, I shit, you might as well go over that now. Yeah. Because to me, like, you know, for those of you listening, like if you're thinking, shit, I've got <clears throat> nothing in my car other than some Snickers wrappers. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what do I need with me? And to me, like to have a mask, to have some sort of water pump, probably an ability to start fire uh, of, of some, some degree. And then, uh, you know, uh, a tourniquet and it, it, to me even if you're just saying well i just want one piece of gear i do think it makes sense for people to have some sort of basic med kit you mm-hmm. know for you you roll up on a uh you know a, a nasty accident or, yep. or something uh you know both you know do a little bit of diligence in terms of how to use it but also to have something to to be uh to be able to augment shitty situations and not just be a fucking liability yeah. or, or a contributor to the fucking problem absolutely so I break that down into kind of two camps. You have kind of your first aid treatment, and then you have traumatic treatment. So like a trauma kit versus a booboo kit, yeah. which is what we call our little first aid kit. So, and I think you know most people out there are more likely to need a band aid rather than a, a pack of combat gauze. But at the end of the day, having both of those is really important because. 
the day to day, you're going to screw up your hands. I mean, I know I'm guilty of that. I usually always have cuts all over my hands cause I'm screwing shit up. But, yeah. uh, the, uh, you know, to have something like a small first aid kit, but then additionally be able to treat trauma is, is a big one too. So the three leading causes of preventable death as established, you know, by that TCCC organization are extremity hemorrhage, which is just bleeding out. Mm-hmm. There's a, Tension pneumothorax, which is basically a sucking chest wound. So your pleural space gets punctured. Now you're losing air and you have to seal that. Um, And then um, airway obstruction. So basically something happens and your airway gets disconnected or air is coming in or... The banana for breakfast. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We we came full circle. Um, Yeah, so in in your your trauma kit, do you you, you sell uh, components of that? Yeah, so what we've got to, to kind of handle all that is... You know, for the E and extremity hemorrhage, we've got an Israeli bandage in there, um, which is one of the better pressure dressing bandages that's on the market. Um, and then we've also got a pack of combat gauze, which combat gauze is a hemostatic agent. So if, if you're not familiar with that, it's basically impregnated with this kaolin material that staunches the flow of blood. So yeah. as you're packing the wound, which normally is how you stop the flow of blood, you pack a wound or you put pressure on it and it's going to stop the bleeding. Um, but in large bleeding scenarios, you really have to pack the wound and to have something that's a hemostatic while in the gauze that you're packing with is huge because yeah. it's actually going to stop that, that yeah. bleeding, you know, in that as you're stuffing it. So, and then of course a, a tourniquet supplements that as well, but then the, the tension and thorax angle, we've, we include chest seals in there. So, um, the best thing is to have a, a standard chest seal and then also a vented chest seal so that, um, you can burp the chest seal or the burp the plural space so the air can still come back out yeah. as well. Because what can happen is um, during a, a, you know, a, a reason to use a chest seal during that, you can actually cause a tension in orthorax, which is when the, the, the lung actually ex- collapses. Yeah, collapses and pushes into your heart and it can actually kill you. So yeah. um, to, ha- to be able to have that air escape is huge and to yeah. recognize the signs of that. So obviously it's an advanced technique um, and we include a needle for needle decompression in that situation where you need to you know, puncture the pearl space to get that air out so yeah. it doesn't kill you. Um, and that's something that you know, a trained person is going to know how to recognize. But something that I like to kind of harp on with trauma kits is that even if it's not you saving the life, just having that accessible sure. for somebody that's a trained individual to use on you is, is huge yeah. or somebody that's near you. Yeah. So no, I was actually going to bring that up because I know, um, you know, there's probably a lot of people like, fuck, I don't even know what yeah, you're talking about. Right. But, you know, to me, like what was just covered is, is really not that complicated. And those are the three most common things you're going to run into. On, on kind of a broader perspective, you know, for those who are like, well, I don't need to know that. Like, if you are in with your family or loved ones, friends, whatever, or people that you care about in general, fuck, for that matter, even if you're rolling up on a, on a civilian, like, why not know that shit? Yeah. You know, uh, if if you get into an accident with family members um, and you're in a rural area where, you know, it's 30 minutes before somebody gets there, that could be the difference between you losing members or not. Right. You know, and, and to me, like it's, it's dumb not to know that shit or at least have, have a, a, a good enough general idea, um, you know, of how those things are applied and, and used to know like, Holy shit, this just, you know, the steering column broke and, and somebody ran into it and it punctured their fucking lung. I can slap this on and, and mm-hmm. keep that person from dying or, 
you know, same thing that something slashed their femoral artery. And by having this piece of piece of gear, I can jam it in there, you know, slap a tourniquet on it jam, while I'm jamming that in and, and, and keep somebody alive from that. I mean, th- those aren't, you know, as complicated as they may sound right. to some people that are listening. Um, they're really not. Uh, it's not that complicated. And those are the things that are going to kill people uh, 10 times over more than anything else. So uh, in my opinion, you know, do do your due diligence. And, uh, it, you know, it, it does pay to have something like that. So uh, we've got the, the oxygen mask, the uh, treatment of the water to a certain extent, a basic trauma or med kit, anything else, um, you know, that you'd recommend, whether it's to help, you know, augment a vehicle or whether it's emergency flares or fucking radios or whatever. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole with that kind of stuff. Um, really, you know, having the ability to fix a flat is a huge thing and that can fix a flat shit is not that good so you know having a full-size spare is way better than than having to rely on a a donut spare or a can of fix a flat or something like that and then you know the knowledge to change a tire is huge Um, most people don't know how to do that yeah Um, yeah yeah and and you know that's not uh, not a knock on people. It's like, hey, to me, know, it is a knock on people. You don't know right, how to right. change your fucking tire. Yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> if you don't know how to change one, learn how to change yeah. one. I mean, Ch- it's not, choke yourself and yes. then learn how to change. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, even having like a, a snatch strap or something in your car to you know yeah. to be able to again, maybe it's not your vehicle that's pulling you pulling yeah. somebody out. Maybe it's hooking up to a truck that doesn't have one. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. you know it can it can be a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I you know I keep toe straps and a mini air compressor in, in my yeah. vehicles also because I, mean, I use the shit out of those things even if it's a slow leak. You know, you're out mm-hmm. somewhere and you're parked for a couple hours. I mean, there's, there's a number of times I've used both of those, Yeah. um, you know, uh, as well as jumper cables, of course. But I mean, to me, a lot of the shit should be common sense. And unfortunately it's not, you, you find a lot of people don't have that. But, um, the one thing I do want to talk about from a go bag standpoint and just, uh, it's something I'm interested in and, and, you know, like all things in life, communication is a big, uh, big component. I know, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, we can talk for hours about <laughs> different things you could have in your vehicle, but these are kind of like for every, um, everybody out there just, you know, it's, it's a good thing to think about and have, uh, from kind of a big picture standpoint, but is some sort of communication, uh, radio. Now, some people say I'm not carrying a fucking radio, but to me, I, I do see some benefit in having that. I know you and I have talked yeah. historically about, you know, you've recommended a couple different radios that I've, that I've actually purposed, uh, purchased and used and, and had good success with. And, and, and like, uh, from a radio standpoint, I mean, you know, is everybody going to go get their fucking ham operator license? Probably not. But, you know, is there something that, that makes sense to keep, uh, on hand and keep, uh, extra spare batteries or, or fuck with if you're going on a trip. I mean, to me, like if you're going hiking, camping somewhere yeah. where you're, you're not in cell coverage, like then, then it makes sense to have something like that. Yeah. So first of all, I would recommend that you don't buy those little cheap ass FRS family radio service radios that claim to go up to 25 miles yeah. or can some you, can shit. Can you talk like about that? the yes. FRS between yes. you know, difference? Yeah. Real quick. So FRS is established by the FCC and it's, it's a group of channels called the family radio service. And what that enables you to do is operate on a very specific low wattage power. And the way that they get those historic 25 mile things is they'll put somebody down on the ground and they'll use the curvature of the earth and they'll have somebody up on a very tall, you know, whatever, yeah, mountaintop, right. And there's, there's nothing in their line of sight. There's no trees, there's no obstacles. And 
because of the refraction off the ionosphere, it's bouncing the wave into the tower and it's like, oh, they can go 25 miles. Well, yeah. okay, because you could hear someone yeah. squawk into the, yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous. I yeah. mean, honestly, it should be illegal, but you know, whatever. I don't run those companies. Yeah. But uh, so what's a realistic, um, a realistic range for, for a, a good radio that's operating on something like a mirror's frequency or something like that is a good, you know, I'd say mile and a half, two mile range. Yeah. And outside of getting into something like a, a ham radio where you're using repeaters, which are free to use if you're on ham radio frequencies, um, short of that, you're you're really kind of limited in terms of distance unless you can buy your own repeater and set it up somewhere and you purchase a GMRS license, which is a uh, radio service general, I forget, government, something, something radio service, (laughs) GMRS. Um, But that's actually a a license you can, you can buy without having to take a test is your GMRS certification. And that allows you to operate um, higher power, uh, radios yeah. on existing channels that aren't as crowded as like a FRS channel or something yeah. like that. So, but for your average swinging dick out there, um, you know, like what, what would you recommend in terms of, I would, I would recommend, um, first of all, installing like a, a CB radio in a car. Yeah. That's probably like the first and if you were only going to do one thing, I would recommend that because at least then you could potentially get through on a channel if you were having cell coverage issues and you couldn't reach anybody and you were stranded, mm-hmm. um, more than likely you're going to be able to reach somebody at some point with a, with a CB radio, yeah. as long as you have power, obviously. Yeah. Um, but that's like something that I would do first. Yeah. And then, um, I would recommend something like a, a, a Bayofang or a Waxun radio that can transmit on a little bit higher power. Um, because in an emergency, kind of all limits are off in terms of the legality of transmitting on a higher power. If, I mean, if you're in a true emergency situation, you know, the FCC is not going to breathe down your neck because you use three watts of power when you were only supposed to use a watt of power when you were stranded somewhere and needed yeah. help. So and fuck them if they Right. Do. And actually, that's actually a good reason for getting a ham radio, even if you're not licensed, because even in an emergency, you can use ham radio frequencies to communicate emergencies yeah. Which on. is, I mean, so for whether it's, uh, well, like for a good handheld, uh, like you're talking about, yeah. what, what kind of, and I know it depends on terrain and, you know, how much foliage or, you know, whether it's urban or rural or whatever, mm-hmm. but like, is there kind of a ballpark, what kind of range you're getting out of, out of those types of units? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're using, um, you know, like a mirror's frequency on the legal power that you're, you're able to use, you, you know, you probably get about a mile, a mile and a half or something like that, yeah. you know, realistically speaking, which is still a pretty good distance, yeah. you know, if you're communicating with somebody else and you guys are out in the woods or something like that and yeah. walking a trail. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if yeah. you're further than a mile and a half from somebody, you probably got yeah. worse, worse fucking problems exactly. than, your, than your radio not reaching, yeah. but, but, uh, no, it's good to know. Um, kind of moving on, uh, you know, through the, well, I guess would you would you keep a, a handheld radio like that in a vehicle, or, or I mean, my take is like probably only if if you plan on going to rural areas, you know, to national forests or shit like that, where you're you're probably going to need something like that. Yeah, um, I would actually recommend it. Yeah. I mean, you can actually get those um, uh, antennas that are magnet mounted, so you can actually hook one of those into the actual antenna slot that's on a lot of those handheld oh, okay. radios. So it allows you to project even further if yeah. in an emergency situation. Okay. They tend to fall off on a vehicle when you're yeah. operating them at a high rate of speed, they'll, yeah. they'll fall over, but um, they are great for that type of situation where you have to depend on, yeah. on that. Yeah, no, that's good shit. In terms of, of uh, food, I mean, to me, like, 
in a go bag. I mean, I do, you know, laughably keep a couple of dehydrated meals and mm-hmm. a little uh, jet boil stove and a, and a couple cans of gas. You know, to me, it's just like, even though I know I can go a long time, I also know that it's a morale booster. You know, it's a morale yeah. booster. And, and, you know, for sure, it, it, it can make you more productive, you know, yeah. without a doubt. So I, Absolutely. that is one thing I do keep, you know, mm-hmm. is a, a gallon of water, a handful of those fucking meals and a, and a little stove. But, uh, um, you know, I've, I've always kind of been that way, I guess, but, uh, any, any, you know, anything above and beyond that, that you'd No, I'm a big, I actually am in the minority of people on the planet that actually enjoy MREs. So <laughs> I actually do like those and yeah. I'll keep a few of those in the vehicle too. Yeah. And yeah. you just have to make sure, especially in like the heat that you're rotating them in out of room once yeah. in a while. But, uh, dehydrated meals are also amazing because yeah. they have a longer shelf life yeah. than MREs and They're light as yeah. Well. And you just have to worry about, like water. you said, water and yeah. carrying a stove to yeah. rehydrate them. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of meals out there that, um, can reconstitute themselves with just cold water too. So, yeah. Yeah. You know. Do you know do you know any brands of those? Also? Yeah, um so let's see. Good to go, I think is a is a brand that I've eaten before yeah. that's really good for that or Paleo Meals to Go yeah. is another brand. Well, I do remember uh, reading a um a, it was a dehydrate it was like a, a camping meal yes. review that you did Yes, fucking, the shootout. Yeah. yeah. I, I I was laughing my ass <laughs> off at some like I love your ranking system but then uh, just some of the comments were pretty fucking funny. Yeah. But, uh, so go go on his website its.com and and, and check out uh check out there's some a the lot of reviews. people that like uh mountain house out there and yeah. I, I got a lot of hate from the mountain yeah. house crowd because i don't i don't really care much for some meals from mountain yeah. house i just the taste is yeah, bothers to, me yeah but. i mean to me it's it's kind of hit or miss like <laughs> yeah. there's there's some of them i've had that are pretty fucking good i'm i like backpackers pantry yeah um, those are great too better but um, pad thai is my favorite backpackers yeah, pantry. yeah. yeah. i uh I always I like the fucking breakfasts. Yeah, you know I eat the shit out of them. Even you know I can't do breakfast on on that shit. I I like them. It's like powder. It's like boot camp eggs with saltpeter Mm. all over (laughs) them. I can't do that shit, man. I hate rehydrated eggs. Yeah, but uh, (laughs) all right, good shit. Any any kind of alibis, last minute things you'd you'd keep in the vehicle. Probably we didn't really talk about fire much, so yeah. I usually have at least three or four ways to start fire in yeah. my vehicle. Um, you know, short of like burning tires or something. Yeah. You know, you want to have something that I, I like uh, the Moro fire knife. It's a it's a knife that's got an integrated uh, ferro rod in the handle. Mm-hmm. So basically, you you twist the handle off, you got the ferro rod, and it's a nice grip point, and you can use the back of the knife to to scrape. Oh, okay. Um, and and spark stuff up. So yeah. you know that and. I'm always a big fan of carrying something like fatwood for tinder. So mm-hmm. you've at least got something to get a fire going with and you're not solely relying on what you pick up around the yeah. area. Yeah. Um, it's just cheap. I mean, a box of that fatwood around Christmas time when all the yeah. fire stuff's out at your hardware store is like five bucks for a huge box of that. And it's mm-hmm. just a, it's a cheap Great thing. thing to have, yeah. yeah. Like uh, in- instant kindling. Yes, yeah. exactly. One thing too that I, I'm baffled by. I mean, I've I've been a pyro my whole fucking life, <laughs> uh, which I, there's a story I'm hesitant to. I, I'm not going to share it. Actually, when I, when I was a kid, that I. I I'll share my pyro story yeah. if you share yours. Oh, fuck it. I, uh, I, I burnt down a fucking 90 foot pine tree at a swimming pool God. when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> Uh, on accident i was just fucking with matches and uh and anyway i won't mention where it was at but uh yeah it was a fucking, down a fence. fucking mess you did <laughs> yes and, yeah i mean I've, I've always loved fire but anyway my point is yeah cir- circling back to the adults in the room that there aren't aren't many but uh <laughs> is that you know starting a fire while it's not that complicated i'm i'm regularly baffled at how few people have any fucking concept i mean just little things like 
kindling that, you know, the, mm-hmm. the stages of, you know, the, the spark slash flame, the Tinder, kindling, kindling and, and yeah. fuel. Yep. But, but then also even something as simple, um, that I've something as simple as how you position and angle the wood, mm-hmm. you know, you using sharp, sharp corners where, you know, if the kindling is hitting a flat side of wood versus, you know, if it, if it's chunked wood or, or split wood or, you know, round wood or whatever, by splitting it and, and making uh, both where the flame hits it, hit a sharp edge and then go up. Yep. Just like, you know, when you burn a match and you turn it upside down, just little things like that, that people are fucking clueless about. Yeah. Uh, has always baffled me how few people, and I don't know if it's again just because I'm a pyro and I love fucking starting fires and burning shit, but uh, there is. There's a lot of people that are, are are fucking have their head up their ass when it comes to to uh, fires. And and going back to the point of water storage, like worst case, boil the shit. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah, keep. Uh, there's a number of good good uh, fire starting products. The other thing too, keep a fucking bic lighter in your in your car. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean. W- if you're not a smoke or whatever, like to have something that simple to, to start. Yep. I think a lot of times people get wrapped around the axle, like, well, it's survival. It has to be a yeah, flint. Yeah, no, like, it you, doesn't. You can yeah. throw a fucking mini Bic in your, in yeah. your shit and it'll work just fine. Um, you know, but anyway. Um, all right. So in terms of um, disaster preparedness, uh, kind of as, as a big picture, obviously we just talked about vehicles and the mobile and, and we talked about, not bugging out of your house. Uh, I want to move into talking about, uh, you know, we talked about fortifying it from a uh, burglary standpoint, but this is more from like a disaster prep mm-hmm. standpoint. It's something that I've taken an interest in over, over the years. Yeah. I think as a, as a man, as a, as a father, as a, you know, whatever it, it, uh, you know, as the head of household, whatever you want to call it, is that I, I find my, I feel like my responsibility to, you know, no matter what happens is that I need to be, be able to fucking handle it yeah. or at least have some sort of plan and, and contingency to handle it. And, uh, I'm curious about both food storage, whether it's growing food, permaculture, um, you know, rainwater collecting, you know, things that now granted where I'm, where I'm at out here, it's a little more conducive to, to shit like that. But even for your your average uh, citizen that's in even say a condo in a, in a metropolitan area, like there's some things you can do uh, that's going to separate uh, the wheat from the chaff, as it were, if the shit hits the fan. And, and for those sure. of you listening, like whether it's power grid or whatever, I mean, you have to realize is that you know there's a number of things that could happen that within three days half the fucking population would be dead. Yeah, if, if it happened. There's in, a saying where you know, three mil or yeah. Five meals away from anarchy, or yeah. seven meals away from anarchy. Well, absolutely, and, and the thing to—I re- mean, you look, you take a look at, like, say, Black Friday. Yeah, like that. Te- that te- <laughs> I mean, yeah. you laugh, but like that tells you a lot about the mentality. Yes. Like, that's just over a fucking sale. Yeah. You know, like now when it's oh, motherfucker's life is on the line. Yeah. Like shit would get really nasty, fucking milk really sandwiches. fucking quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, in, in those types of environments, and so being able to sustain. Uh, you know, at least for a few days at a minimum, uh, I think is really, really fucking important. And so I'd love to talk about uh, some things that you could recommend sure. from a a home standpoint. Again, food storage, whatever, and I'll throw in my ideas at the end. But I think one of the, the easiest things people can do, you know, to not jump down the, you know, the, the crazy generator bandwagon quite yet. Um, I think one of the simplest things that you can do is just rotate things that you eat out. So meaning you have a dedicated area where you store food that you're used to eating. And that's one of the big things that I think people run into is 
they'll stockpile food or something like that, and it's not stuff that they'll use. So one, it either expires mm. because they're not using it, um, or two, it's stuff that when they do have the opportunity to actually use it, it's gross. It's not stuff they're used to eating, so it's Don't not. Expired. Yeah, right, exactly. So I, I recommend kind of a rotation thing with that stuff. So meaning, let's say, let's just use peanut butter as an example. So I've got, a, I've got a can of peanut butter in my food storage area, and then it's the peanut butter I consume on a daily basis. Well, um, let's say I have one in my pantry and one in my fridge. I go through the one in the fridge. I know that that goes onto the grocery list because I need peanut butter, but rather than get that one and put it in the fridge, I actually put it in the pantry and grab the old one and put that one in the fridge. So it's kind of like a you know, a, a rotation yeah. process built you, in. You keep your peanut butter in the fridge? <laughs> no. <laughs> it just doesn't. I do not. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuck. I uh, can't see the forest for the trees over here. I'm I actually stopped eating butter. peanut butter, but yeah. I keep almond butter in the fridge because yeah. it says refrigerated after oh, yeah. opening. Yeah, I suppose it, that yeah. shit probably does go bad because <laughs> it doesn't have a bunch of yeah. bullshit keeping it from going bad. But yeah, no, that's for sure a good point. I mean, um, I know for me, like I keep you know shit that that's relatively easy to make you know it's for sure not that good for me that's one thing where i i i probably distinguish or separate uh, you know whether it's keeping i do keep uh, a couple weeks worth of fucking dehydrated meals mm-hmm. um that you know kind of like you said like when i go on camping trips i'll use them and then yes that's a great buy, way to buy do it. new yep. shit and, and re- resupply it with that but um but uh you know, whether it's sacks of rice or, you know, shit that you can heat up relatively easy for me, like another simple thing is, is fucking canned goods, mm-hmm. you know, uh, obviously, uh, freezed free or not freeze dried, but, uh, from the grocer's freezer, you know, uh, frozen vegetables are, are considerably more healthy, but, uh, but in terms of stockpiling, like oh, I like yeah. to keep, you know, vegetables and beans and, and even canned meats, you know, chicken breast and, and yep. uh, shit like that, you know, um, as a as a good contingent for things to to keep on hand yeah i do that too it's great to store those things yeah i'm curious in, in terms of uh like rainwater collecting um, mm-hmm. i know you know i i have a a, a luxury here and that i have a, a pond that that uh, even in the uh, driest of summers does not does not uh go completely dry and and uh you know i again i keep that camelback system with with a uh a solar charger to be able to charge it but one of the things i also invested in i'm curious to get your take on is uh it's a very basic but it's a water distiller Hmm. um for that same reason is that again i I have kind of a uh, a luxury and that i've got a source of water while for fuck sure i wouldn't want to just drink it you know or Mm -hmm. i'd want to do something with it first but it's there at least you know so to me like those 55 gallon drum rainwater collections like i think those are a good fucking idea for for people again if you live in a suburban area or whatever Mm -hmm. you don't want to have you know 400 gallons of fucking water in your in your uh, garage or whatever but to me like that's the thing that's going to fuck you the fastest yep is not having water i mean to me i'd keep probably 100 gallons in five gallon jugs in your in your uh, fucking garage yep. or, or whatever but also like the rainwater thing that- I, so something i keep and i haven't gotten into rainwater collection personally um i have a good buddy that does that mm-hmm. um where i know the directions to his property if something happens yeah. so <laughs> yeah. um anyway something that we could talk about first is that in any kind of power down scenario, anytime the power goes out, I start filling up bathtubs. Mm -hmm. So that's something I just have started doing instinctually is that I just fill up bathtubs so that I've at least got that source of water in case the water goes out or becomes non-potable. I've at least got something there. Um, But then I actually stockpile water in just plastic bottles 
because mm-hmm. I'll, you know, people come over to the house, I give them a bottle of water, you know, what have you. So I wind up going through it. So it's not sitting there indefinitely. Yeah. But what I like about that is that I could throw it into a vehicle if I needed to, too. And yeah. granted, you could throw jugs of water in a vehicle, too. Um, but I don't drink jugs of water on a regular basis. So I think I would have more of a issue going through it and, you yeah. know, kind of uh, working it in as a cycle. Yeah. Um, but that's why I, I buy bottled water because it's usually cheap and, uh, yeah. you know. I hate the impact on the environment with bottles, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, that's something that is, I always store. Is there a, a, a gallon amount per person that, uh, that you use or give as yeah, a, a gallon per person per day yeah. is a general guideline for, yeah. for storage yeah. in terms of water. And you, so, yeah, I mean, you'd want, I mean, to me, like a hundred gallons, like oh, I mean, yeah. to me, you almost can't have too much, but no, I agree with that. Um, Especially if you're using it to cook too. Yeah. So gallon per person per day is just drinking. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to use that for cooking meals, you got to calculate that into yeah. it as well. Yep. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, any other house or residence, uh, must haves from a preparation standpoint that you, uh, that you can recommend or throw in? So I've been really researching generators lately. Um, I haven't made a purchase yet, but I've been looking into like the solar powered stuff that Tesla's been doing. Um, I've actually gotten a couple companies to come out and give me quotes on one of those switching generators that sits on the outside of your house and just basically doesn't run until the power goes out and it yeah. automatically switches on and it can yeah. run your whole house. Yeah. Um, but you know, to power the house I live in where it's going to cost like 10 grand to do that. So yeah. it's quite an investment, but honestly, I would pay that if, yeah. you know, if it yeah. meant, if it meant, you know, living without power for a, a Puerto Rico incident or something yeah. like that, I would gladly pay 10 grand to get sure. that done. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I've, I had a similar situation, uh, or, uh, you know, I researched, went through that kind of gamut. You know, this was years ago. We got hit with a fucking gnarly ice storm, mm. uh, to where it was four days. Uh, and even here in North Texas, which is very rare, this was, I think in 2011 12 maybe some i fuck i don't remember but had a traditional fireplace at the time um had had a significant amount of wood but that was that was it everything else is is electric yeah here and we lost power for four days everything was covered in like three inches of fucking ice and (laughs) um and the the temperature didn't get above i mean it it was well below freezing you know it was i mean it was down in the single digits like it was a, a really abnormally cold fucking storm here but no generator, no power. I mean, I, I literally, I, I had, you know, every, every, every one of us was sleeping next to this fireplace, like yeah. in the fucking living room for four days, eating fucking mountain house meals. I mean, I, luckily I had yeah. enough ramen noodles and, <laughs> and, uh, fucking mountain house or, or backpackers pantry meals in my, you know, jet fuel or jet boil stove and cans of gas and whatever we, we made it work. But it was kind of a, a kick in the dick, you know, yeah. a slap in the face of like, I, you know, I should know better than that, you know, and, uh, so from there, like I, I've got several generators. I've got the house wired to where you can just plug them in. One Perfect. of them, yeah, yeah. one of them is uh, I actually bought it at Costco. I don't remember the brand, but it it runs off of um, either regular gas or pro, uh, barbecue gas tanks, mm-hmm. you know, propane tanks. Um, you can do either one, which is handy. So then I've got. You do you know, have propane on here? Is it like a big? No, huge I, I, propane I just tank I have a dozen fucking oh, yeah. tanks. You know which. It would last a few days, um, you know, but uh, but to me, like that, and then I replaced my traditional fireplace with a wood-burning stove, which has been a fucking total game-changer yeah. in terms of the wintertime and keeping the house warm. That's great. And being able to do it, you know, even even if there's uh, there's no power. But to me, I agree. I mean, the, the generator thing, like, 
my take is is you know depending on how much your your residence is powered off of gas or electric is going to determine how big of a one you need but to me like at least a 5000 you know mm-hmm. or even up to 7500 or even 10000 watt um, you know, I think is, is a good investment and, and have an electrician wire your house so that you just transfer switch. Fucking, yeah. yeah. Well, not even, I mean, just so that you can plug it right in oh, and you're not yeah. running fucking extension cords all yep. through your house and shit, uh, is, is a smart fucking thing to do. And it's one of those things where I, I probably wouldn't have given a fuck unless I was in that mm-hmm. position where like, God damn, it would have been nice to have. Well, this. and that's the thing that I'm running into. It's, it's like, I don't want to spend the money right now, but I know that on the flip side, if something happens, I'm going to be kicking myself going, Oh my God, why didn't yeah. I spend the money? So, yeah. The yeah. other thing too, is, uh, if you do, you know, test fire it, maintain your equipment. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. a, a, uh, a ga- any gas engine, like, you know, if you soak the carburetor, you know, if, if it gets fucked up and you, and you don't maintain it, then when you need it, it's not going to fucking work. So you, yep. do, you do have to, you know, at least a couple times a year, fire it up, make sure it fucking works, have it serviced, whatever. But for sure, I, that's something I'd recommend having been through it is that uh, I've got two of them, one for the kennel facility and one for here. That's great. For the house and in case that happens. But uh, anyway, do do your research and it's not a bad idea to have one uh, if, if you can swing it. But um what's your take on solar panels in terms of the house and shit like that like to me it seems like a pain in the ass yeah and it does and kind of what my research led me back to is that i wouldn't even see any savings for it for like 20 fucking years or 15 years or whatever the case is so i don't i don't really see that as probably the option that i would go with just based on the research that i've done and i actually had someone come out and quote the solar thing or actually a couple companies but yeah um i just it's not that we don't have the right roof for it because we do. It's just I'm I lean against that just because of the yeah. the implication of you know something happening to the panels and me not knowing about it and you know there's there's the battery aspect of it and yeah. what do you do if you know it's yeah anyway yeah. <laughs> I just I, I just don't think it's as practical. Yeah no I agree. I mean to me it's one of those things where you know the investment is huge. I mean. It, I can see both sides of it because I, I did this similar thing not with uh, with solar, but with a, a small residential slash commercial windmill mm, out wow. here because it's so fucking windy out yeah. here. I mean, it's always fucking windy. Uh, it's like getting pimp slapped every time you walk outside, <laughs> almost. You know, which I enjoy. Don't get me wrong, but uh, but same thing is that like you know the the shelf life or in terms of how long they anticipate it working for is fifteen to eighteen years, mm. and when you do the math, like what it costs and what you save, it's a it's a break even. Like yeah. it would take fifteen fucking years for me to make my money back on a. Uh, on a windmill here but the, you know on the on the transverse like you know if you're not thinking about it monetarily is it to have that that option though if if from to me like that's the only realistic option should a a long-term real world you know cyber attack emp fucking yeah. foreign invasion which you know what are the odds not great but you'd fuck you never know yeah one emp could fucking cripple this country in in, in my opinion and depending on how big it was and where it was delivered but well honestly even not even that, but our electrical infrastructure yeah. is just so insecure. Yeah, so meaning, outdated. well, not even that, just meaning that if somebody really wanted to screw with the U.S., like it could just be an electrical issue. Yeah, I terrorists mean, can, put your earmuffs yeah, on. Yeah, don't listen to this. But yeah, I mean, it's just how our 
power is run in the United States, you know, through yeah. the power plants and then through the distribution centers and how it eventually comes to our houses. Yeah. Like, you know, an interruption in one of those distribution centers with a well-placed hit would just, it would cripple a huge yeah. area of the United States for so long. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily going to turn into a Puerto Rico situation, but, yeah. you know, it could be pretty devastating. Sure. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and to me, that's kind of, I guess, my, my point with that is that, you know, if you're not looking at it from just a strictly a monetary or investment standpoint, mm -hmm. like to me, that's, you know, a robust solar panel system that powers your house or comes real fucking close to it or some sort of windmill type, depending on where you're at, if it's uh, windy enough, regularly enough, the way it is here for a long term sustainable option for for power, which isn't realistic for most people, which I get, which kind of leads me into the next thing is, is stoves. I mean, stoves are a big, a huge fucking thing. Half of it's cause I'm a pyro, but, uh, <laughs> but the other, but the other half is just like, I look at it from a, you know, having good, you know, good stove technology, whether it's small, a little small wood burning survival stove or, mm -hmm. or gas stoves or whatever. I mean, to me, you, you can't really beat, um, you know, some sort of small stove that you can feed, with uh with wood and and uh, or sticks or whatever there's a couple different companies that that make some pretty neat little fucking stoves that uh, it, it almost looks like a and i'm, I'm not going to mention the name brand just for for specific reasons but uh from an, uh, i don't want them to uh, from an endorsement standpoint i guess but uh it basically looks like two paint cans you know mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of gap with some venting uh, in the side and then it's fed through the bottom mm -hmm. uh, and there's a like i said there's a number of different brands i, I don't want to pr prefer one over the other but but the uh, the gist of it is really fucking simple, and you can use anything. I mean, you can use fucking lumber or or just sticks out in your yard or whatever. And, and because of the venting, it works similarly to a good wood burning stove with good venting and good airflow. Is that wood that's maybe not completely seasoned or dry, or or it's not even good burning wood like fucking you know construction timber, you know chunks of yeah. two by fours or one by twos or whatever. Like you can burn that kind of shit. And just having like a like a wok style, yeah, uh, big frying pan that you can you can boil water in it, you can cook food, you can do whatever. Like to me, having that is a fucking good idea, you know, because you can always find kindling or sticks or or scrap wood or fucking newspaper, or whatever. And if you have some sort of ability that doesn't rely on power, it doesn't rely on on solar or on wind or anything else. Like it's literally just finding shit to burn. And having some sort of uh, you know way to, to burn it and, and and cook things or boil water is, is a good fucking thing to have you know in your garage or attic or, or whatever. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I know you've there's a lot of reviews on on different camping stoves and stuff like that. But is there anything you could add to that? Or? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I keep coming back to um, a jet boil. Honestly, like I, I mean, I hate to say that when we're talking about wood burning stoves, but that's just become my preference even though i still carry a collapsible stove i always come back to that as a as a first mm -hmm. strike basically but um i do have a little collapsible stove i think it's called a honey stove but it's basically an octagon shaped yeah. wood, wood burning stove and you assemble it so it stacks flat mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't weigh much it's made out of titanium panels yeah but it all fits together in an octagon shape and it's you know probably about this big you know yeah. i'd say uh I don't know, small plate sized, maybe mm -hmm. eight inch circle or something like that. And it's great because like you said, you can feed, you know, anything. fuel or anything into yeah. it and cook on it. Um, but it's also got the the option to put a little burner inside it. It's a little Trangia burner. So you can fill it with uh, denatured alcohol yeah. and burn that too yeah. as a fuel source, which is super cheap. And yeah. it's not, you don't have to stack 
or consume fuel canisters, you can just have a you know, a couple of gallons of denatured alcohol and probably burn everything for the foreseeable future. Yeah. It's just doesn't take a lot to, to use yeah. to do that. To me, I guess I, I put it in the kind of two, two separate categories. Like I'm right there with you. The jet boil is my mm-hmm. varsity fucking, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I use that thing fucking cam or whatever. And if it was like, Oh, the power went out and it's a couple of days, like that's what I would use Yep. to me. I look at it more like as a long term. like it's, sure. it's good to have something, absolutely. you know, to, to burn what I mean, have both, you know, yep. like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have an either, or I, I would have both. I do have both and I use both, but, um, but anyway, no, that's uh, you know, again, for people listening, like you got to think about things like that. Uh, from a long-term standpoint, uh, you know, as, as it relates to that shit. But, um, so the, the kind of the last thing, um, just because of the nature of, of, uh, our backgrounds and whatever, um, firearms and weapons, you know, I have mixed feelings on, on that, but you know, one thing I'm curious to get your take as far as from a, from an ITS standpoint, like, is that something that you talk about much? Um, you know, things to keep in your house, your vehicle, whatever, from, from a self-defense standpoint and, and what, uh, what's your take on that? I certainly do. Um, because I, I mean, I carry, I'm licensed to carry and so is Kelly. So it is a big thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it comes down to training, really. If, you know, when I talk about it, it's always like, hey, make sure you have training, get the training. If you're going to buy an expensive gun, buy a cheap gun and spend that money on training. You know, yeah. it's, it's just you can't train enough with when it comes to firearms. And, yeah. you know, even if you think it's second nature, you know, if something really happens, mm-hmm. you know, the wheels fall off. So, yeah. you know, the more that you can train with it, the better. But, yeah, yeah I absolutely recommend firearms for self-defense and yeah. Um, having those in the home and you know just making sure they're secured around kids is a huge factor too and yeah you know that's that's kind of the gist of it yeah but, any uh any other you know non-firearm related weapons that uh that you recommend because i know there's plenty of people that like one of the things we talked about on on the first podcast was using hornet spray and fire extinguishers and, and shit like that to uh you know to augment if if you just can't can't or won't or you know legalities or whatever Maybe you're a convicted felon. You can't have a gun. Fuck, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's always a knife, I, I guess. You know, you could get into learning how to throw knives. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm joking. But, the, uh, I mean, the gist of it is is that, you know, if you're going to, I don't know, if you want to protect your home and you're worried about somebody coming in, um, I, would, I would divert my efforts more to securing a home you know, rather than worrying about necessarily what I need to yeah. protect myself if somebody comes in. However, I mean, it's always a, a, a chance. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. It happens, but I mean, honestly, I don't know. In my opinion, a baseball bat would be a great thing to have. Um, What's the, uh, what's that fucking, uh, the show with the fucking zombies. I'm not, I don't want to watch this shit, but uh, walking dead. Yeah. Yeah. I don't watch it either. Guys, a fucking baseball bat. Yeah. Put some nails in it. Or uh, barbed wire wrapped around yeah. whatever the fuck you got. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, like, I like blunt blunt objects. I mean, I, the Cold Steel is a company I bought some pretty cool shit from. Mm-hmm. It has uh, some pretty gnarly fucking, you know, weapons that are, are a mix of blunt objects with sharp shit on it. But uh, 
I, you know, to me, I guess I always, I, I try to keep shit like that all over the place, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's firearms and, and a mix of physical objects to fuck people up with. I, I, I'm a big proponent of it, but, uh, well, I like, uh, I mean, when I travel, obviously, you know, you, you gotta, if you're going to declare a firearm, it's gotta be in a bag and you don't have yeah. that available on, on a plane, but you know, some things from, a I don't know, I guess a, uh, you know, a weapon standpoint with that is, you know, a, a roll of quarters works great is, you know, a way to put weight behind a punch and, yeah. um, a rolled up newspaper can be a great deterrent too, to somebody coming at you with a knife, um, <laughs> there's just a lot of, there's what, a lot of different things but. whatever you can pick yeah. up and fuck somebody up with yeah. I know uh, yeah I mean there's there's a million fucking things out there but um, well it's good shit um, is there anything else uh, in in the list of things that we've talked about that you want to want to recommend to people in terms of uh, survival preparedness uh, home security what have you that, uh, that we didn't cover that you can think of I would say just in terms of doing what you can, really. And a lot of people get overwhelmed by a lot of this stuff and think, well, I don't have the money to do that. Or they make excuses and yeah. I can't do that because I I don't own my own house. I'm renting and I can't do anything. Yes, you can. Yeah. You know, there's there's no way to excuse your way out of doing something. Yeah. So, you know, just pretending like you can't do anything isn't, isn't valid, in my yeah. opinion. So, yeah. you know, just being able to do something yeah you know do do as as best you can with what yeah, you have right exactly yeah. yep yeah all right so um as we wrap it up here the you know you've talked about some of the products you guys sell i'd love to you know let people know where they can find all the reviews if, if you could just kind of sure do a synopsis of both what what its uh, is and does and what the, what they offer as different products where they can find you what you have going yeah. on all that kind of stuff so my elevator pitch is really you know we you know, we provide information and skills um, as well as products kind of to to kind of help you on, on the skill set side of things. I mean, it's really kind of for everybody. So it's not just for law enforcement, it's not just for military, it's not just for prepared outdoors people. It's it's really for everybody. And, it, and I've been writing articles now for the better part of nine years on the site as well as our other contributors. And there's just a absolute wealth of information on pretty much any topic that we covered here today and anything that you can really think about skill related is, yeah. it's probably been covered there, even from like the financial side of things. So, you know, we're not, we're not a prepper community per se, but a lot of the preparedness that we talk about is kind of from a more practical aspect and, and not just from a, you know, tinfoil hat survivalist yeah. kind of thing, but not that there's anything wrong with that. Cause yeah. the world may come to an end one day and yeah. I'm the asshole, but yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, no yeah, the, uh, but yeah, on the product side, we've always tried to, and that's kind of, you know, we talked about business evolving and that's kind of how my business has evolved. Obviously, I started out writing content and, you know, started talking about these things that interested me on the skill side. But as I started to review gear and, you know, get more into that side of things as well, um, I started to see, you know, gaps in what was available and ways that, you know, we could create our own products to, to either fill those gaps or make a better product. And in those situations we have, and, you know, I'm, my goal is not to, you know, be some kind of REI, but at the same time, you know, we offer practical products at, you know, good prices that I think supplement and augment different things that are out there on the market. So we have a lot of trauma kits. 
kits and escape and evasion tools like the lock picking stuff we talked about that's big with us too um you can learn all about the skill set on our website but you can also buy the products to practice at home too so that's a that's a great thing to do as well but and that website is just store.itstactical.com and then the website is itstactical.com you can find a link to the store from the website but that's kind of the big thing and then we're on pretty much every social media platform you know at its tactical or some derivative of that so yeah yeah well that's uh that's all good good info to know and uh again for Anybody out there that wants to check any of that stuff out, I've read a bunch of the reviews and uh, been on a couple of your podcasts and, and uh, gear tastings and, and all that, and that's uh, good shit. So, Thanks, um, man. Yeah. So I appreciate uh, you coming on. Um, you know, it's all, all just a wealth of info. Hopefully that uh, you as a listener has picked up, um, you know, some good tips and uh, whether it's training or uh, how to better prepare yourself for disaster or your, or your house, your vehicle, what have you. At a minimum, I hope that uh, it's gotten you at least in a better mindset where you're at least thinking about those things. Because, again, I, I can tell you from experience, and I know, you know, Brian is no exception, is that, uh, you know, it, it never never generally goes wrong when you're ready for it. It always catches you with your fucking pants down, and then you're like, shit, you know, I, sh- I should have. <laughs> where had, are my pants? <laughs> yeah, I should have had, had this fucking handled, and, uh, and I didn't, you know. So, you know, you gotta you gotta be prepared and at least be thinking. Uh, you know, if something can go wrong, there's there's a chance that it will, and, and you got to be ready for it. So, and uh, before we finish, I also just uh, as always want to thank uh, everybody for for listening. Um, you know, all of the support of of, uh, of the listeners of Mike Drop has been uh, truly humbling, and uh, and I appreciate it. So, thank you. Keep doing that. Feel free to uh, continue with the funny ass reviews, and uh, you know. <laughs> click the uh you know the 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 likes and the uh, raid and review and the and the whole business but uh you know put some fucking ass behind them and and make them funny because that shit uh shit's hilarious but (laughs) anyway uh thank you again guys uh for listening brian thanks been a pleasure thanks for having me brother always and uh we look forward to seeing you guys next time and once again this is mike drop I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.